What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 85th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Matt, it's another day. We're on draft 85 of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Feeling alive. How are you? Can you believe we've done 85 of these? Which we've done almost a hundred over 185 reviews we're almost close to 200 reviews we're on 192 what what netflix movie will be our 200th review we'll see that's a good question um and we were just talking before we went on air it's the 10-year anniversary of our friendship so you know happy anniversary i don't know what you got me you brought me a coffee this morning i sure did matt and you returned my screeners um, I don't know if that's it, it. Technically, the 10 year anniversary would be like in September, correct? Yeah, yeah, August, like, September. Because I remember the first time I had a conversation with you uh, was outside of uh, the Ryerson Theater. And we yeah. were talking about you went to San Diego Comic Con that year to see Drive. And that's specifically, we were talking before recording um, that, uh, you know, I've been listening to the Drive soundtrack. And, and because you sent me a, a photo of, uh, from Nicholas Winding Refn's Twitter account that he's getting ready to release the 4K of, of Drive. So looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. I, um, that year was, yeah, that year was wild. Um, went to San Diego Comic Con with uh, some friends from high school and um, I saw Captain America, the first Avenger, and Drive at um, like uh, advanced screenings in, in Comic Con because Captain America was coming out that weekend during Comic Con because they used to do that all the time. And I remember Chris Evans being at the screening. And I remember it's just so weird how, you know, things have changed being just totally underwhelmed by Captain America and being like, I don't care about this guy and I don't care about this movie. Um, mind you, I'm doing an MCU rewatch for the 500th time now and I've come fully around on Captain America, the first Avenger. It's almost like um, you're force feeding some of these movies because I even saw that you gave two and a half. Uh, out of five for Thor the Dark World. Yeah, two and a half like is the lowest I go on most Marvel stuff is two to two and a half because like I still again when you put everything together and I got to give Thor the Dark World credit now because it like, you know, it has Darcy, which who we're seeing in WandaVision. Um, it has the ether, which ends up being an infinity stone and like it and Natalie Portman, her whole thing is going to, you know, possibly come full circle with Thor love and thunder. So like that one, Eric, I will tell you, I will admit this. I put a poll out on Twitter and I was like, guys, should I watch Thor the dark world? And should I watch incredible Hulk? I think I voted in that. (laughs) Most people said, watch both or skip both. And then a good amount of people said, watch incredible Hulk and like, no, or sorry, watch Thor the dark world. And a very few people said, watch the incredible Hulk. So for the first time ever in these rewatches, I skipped a movie. I did not watch the incredible Hulk. You I just, omit, you should watch I, the incredible Hulk though. When, when she Hulk yeah, is, uh, is, you know, that's going into production actually quite soon, probably in Toronto. I mean, I know most Marvel stuff. I mean, unless it is, specific to a location in Europe, say, or England, they mostly shoot in Atlanta, but with Tatiana Maslany, I almost feel, and with the incredible Hulk, I mean, that movie shot in Toronto. Toronto. I wouldn't be surprised, but, um, it seems like they're shooting a lot of stuff in Australia right now because it seems like it is the easiest to just, you know, do a full production down there. Um, yeah, because they played it smart somewhere, Australia, New Zealand. So, um, I forget where I was going. Oh, that comic con. And then drive was one of those because it played, can that year right yep and then then, they played the fall festival circuit with tiff and then it was was just weird that they did a comic-con screening of drive (laughs) so uh i just i don't know how i got into both of those screenings because i didn't really 
I knew some people like just through Twitter and stuff like that. And I forget how, cause we weren't really fully doing the film criticism thing back then. Like I was doing a little bit of stuff, but, and you were doing your Rogers stuff, but we weren't like, you know, entrenched in the, you know, PR side of things like working with publicists and stuff. So like, I don't even know how I got into those screenings. Yeah. It, it, it was again, like it takes time and, and to anybody that wants to do this and is frustrated with maybe where they are to start with or where they're beginning. It like, it just takes a long time. Like, I mean, I feel you know, by, by around the time that I started to like hang out with you and, 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 you know, work with you and become friends with you, like that's when it started to tip because like, you know, I, I get asked the question every now and then about like, you know, how'd you get your start? How long did it take? Like I was doing reviews back in like 2006 and I was still in high school. Right. And like back then, like PR companies wouldn't take me seriously and things like that. And I understand, I mean, it was still a teen, um, but it just, it takes time, you know? And like, I, like I understand anybody that's kind of frustrated with like those roadblocks, especially with certain companies that are a little bit more entangled with oh, I their still US counterparts, yeah. Yeah. um, which kind of makes it more frustrating, but then you get Par- the opposite too, because like there'll be, there'll be Canadian kind of companies where they will be like, okay, well you have to be a Canadian uh, outlet and that's the only way we'll you know accredit you for something so yeah it's um it i try to help people as much as i can now like other people um in the industry that you know might not have the pr contacts that we do and like i just feel like it's a valuable thing of like if like the least you can do is go hey you know it's up to you now but here are the people that you need to contact if um uh, if you want to try to, you know, get in, in that Toronto film scene, um, not the place we worked, but just in general, um, what a nightmare that was. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Cause I was actually going through old emails and, and getting rid of some stuff because I have, uh, emails back from 2011 onward that I, do you still, still have the one where we were called Nazis or something or, oh, or yeah. compared I'm keeping to like, that. Yeah, um, keep that just, one. Just yeah, that's a story on another day. Um, maybe one day say, but yeah, yeah. It had something to do with an embargo and it was, uh, as you could imagine, uh, out of line, uh, in, in, totally in terms of, of the person. Yeah who sent that email. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely keeping that one, but I, it was funny just going back and looking at like all the stuff, you know, that when you were working for the Toronto film scene and seeing like all of your emails to the, the crew, and then there's all the stuff that you were getting as well. And then like, I also found your last of us cast of us, uh, oh, you know, original list and stuff way like back that. When yeah. I did it for on Buzzfeed or whatever. And then, um, but yeah, getting back to the things like I, I even doing this for, 10 plus years with you um let alone you know before that a little bit too like there are some studios like paramount and warner brothers that still you know i still haven't really kind of weaseled my way in there um which is totally fine and my advice to anyone who's listening who wants to do this as well is like be patient stick to it when someone you know says no sorry um we don't think you're quite there yet or we don't have room or whatever they get back to you is just i just try to be nice to everyone and, and, you know, be respectful. No one owes you anything. And, um, it's just understand that it's just part of it and keep at it and work hard and reach out every, 
you know, year or every few months or whatever, but don't be annoying about it. And, and it'll, you know, I think good things will come to good people who work hard. And, um, and I hope that, you know, I hope this whole thing and during this pandemic and everything with the, like the one silver lining I'm seeing is that there has been more access to the films that are getting released, whether it's at a film festival or, um, through PR, through screeners and things like that. Cause it's not, you know, geo blocked of like, you have to live downtown Toronto and you have to go to Scotiabank or varsity for all the screenings and things like that. So I'll be curious, um, you know, as we're reminiscing over the last 10 years is, um, like if that's going to change after all of this and like, will we, I think screenings will return obviously, but like, will there be options for screeners, uh, as well as, going in person or will it just go back to strictly in person or how everything changes after this will be interesting. But, um, I mean, I even read a quick article today too, about, you know, I think it, Bob Chappick at, at Disney was saying that like, yeah, the, th- the three month theatrical window is completely gone. And I think we've seen that. And, um, and I'm wondering how that will trickle through and affect, you know, the press side of things as well. But, um, it's been a fun 10 years, man. Uh, it's too bad that we're going to hang it up here and we're quitting and this is going to be the last. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it's we're ending on a high note or a low note, depending on, uh, uh, how you look at it in the, in the last couple of years in terms of just, you know, the pandemic and everything that's gone on. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's again, like it, I'm just taken aback by that 10 years have passed. Like I, I wonder where it all went. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. It's, um, it's soon we'll really, be dead. <laughs> I remember that random ass phone call I got from you. I think it was after TIFF, um, cause we had a mutual friend and we met briefly at that TIFF in line. And me, I'm horrible with names and faces. I don't remember who I meet. If I have to meet you three times, probably. No offense to anyone I've ever met, but like, I'm just horrible with names and faces. Like, if I meet you one time, um, I'll probably remember that I met you, but like, I'm just like, I'm horrible with names and stuff like that, unless I saw you in person again. Uh, but there have been people that I introduce myself to, and they're like, yeah, we've met before. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Um, well, I thought it but, was weird when you started tattooing names and places and, yeah. and, you know, like Guy Pierce and Memento. I was like, Matt, what are you doing? And you just have like that, this huge. It just remember Eric Marchin. And it's just like me like going. Uh, but Eric just called me out of the blue one day. I remember getting a call on my cell phone and you're like, hey, this is Eric Marchin. We met in line at, during at TIFF. And I'm like, the fuck is this? Who is this? Like, who is calling me? You're like, you want to come do my show on Rogers TV? Um, and I'm like, um, okay and i and there you go 10 years and the later, rest is yeah, history as they say history. um how you been eric other otherwise uh, you know uh still working out i've gone from 20 minutes every other day to 30 minutes and it's kicking my ass but uh, in a good way um just watching a lot of movies um with the uh, launch of disney plus star i've kind of been going through some of that catalog specifically and just kind of you know, watching some films that I haven't seen for a while and some TV shows that I didn't re- even realize were on there. I wasn't sure if they maybe were on there uh, beforehand with like some of like just like the Disney Plus stuff. So like I've been watching a couple episodes of like the 90s version of Spider-Man and things like that. And, um, you know, just kind of enjoying that a little bit because there's a there's a couple movies that aren't available on Blu-ray like Robert Redford's uh, Quiz Show, which, um, you know, was – 
a big film in 94 and was nominated for best picture. And, you know, it's about the 1950s uh, quiz show scandal and it being rigged and, and the Van Doren family and Ray Fiennes and uh, John Turturro being kind of pitted against each other. Um, so it'd been a while since I had seen that. And and again, it's, it's never been released on Blu-ray. And, and is it in HD on? Yeah. The and it looks yeah. great. I mean, it, it, it's, it was a, it's a solid little film. It's very procedural esque and like, um, again, like 94 was a, an amazing year for cinema and it was kind of, you know, like indie coming back again with Pulp Fiction and, you know, even some of the more traditional studio movies had a little bit of an edge to it with Shawshank, but Quiz Show and like Forrest Gump, I think are still good movies. It's just funny how, you know, like Forrest Gump plays all the time on television. Like, I feel like that's one of those movies that just is constantly broadcast on like, you know, TBS back in the day and what have you, and kind of hasn't left the mindset. But Quiz Show is one of those movies that nobody really talks about anymore in any way other than its historical presidents. And, um, it's a really solid little movie and it's a, it's a fun film. And it's also just interesting to look at like, you know, how opportunity presents itself to, you know, creating a reality TV star at the time and how that's sort of molded in the shape of this kind of, you know, young, mediocre white guy who has a family legacy um, that he's trying to live up to. And, and Ray Fiennes is, is really good in that role because he's having to play, you know, quote unquote, an actor on a, you know, a a contest kind of show. And then on top of that, he's also trying to figure out like how to keep doing this without imploding. And then John Turturro is kind of trying to investigate it, but also like prove the point that this whole thing is, is rigged, which I think is interesting. Cool. I've never seen it. So I should add it to my Disney plus star. I haven't really gone through, like I've gone through a little bit and it's just interesting seeing it kind of all mixed in with the Disney stuff on the homepage. But, um, I mean, I think it's it's fantastic for people who live. I think it's only in Europe and Canada and certain territories right now, but um, it's a great value. Like, I mean, they raise the price. I think from what nine dollars to twelve dollars. Yeah. Um, uh, but I paid for that year in advance in November. So, so you I don't still- have to pay until till November. November, yeah. And then I'll have to pay the new price, but that's still. I mean, pretty dope for anyone who was able to subscribe for that whole year before that. And it basically doubled your Disney plus like catalog. It's all library titles and things like that. And they have a few originals, which are a lot of Hulu originals that they've kind of rebranded as star originals um, here. Um, But I haven't kind of gone around and watched much yet because I've just been again doing a MCU rewatch like the garbage person I am. Yeah, but that will also be, I think, a complaint with people kind of looking at the star catalog because some of the FX and Hulu shows that were previously bought by other Canadian broadcasters, whether it be Fargo or Devs or What We Do in the Shadows, aren't on star. So So I could see people thinking like, you know, the way that like – um, Judas and the Black Messiah is um, only available in Canada on premium VOD. I could see like a lot of people being confused and thinking that should be on Crave because you know HBO Max, a lot of the television content and some of the the films do wind up on Crave, and it's kind of a similar situation where it's a rights thing. It's just also to do with different countries and things like that. So. Yeah, to give. I mean, I have a little bit of context because I worked at a streaming service. It's been a while, but. It gets so complicated because everyone kind of lumps Canada in with the US with most things, right? We're pretty similar 
from, I mean, I guess an entertainment standpoint, right? Like we always got lumped into the North American box office. Like our release dates were always the American release dates. Like everything was pretty one-to-one to the US. But when streaming services started getting, you know, bigger and bigger here, there was all these content deals that were already made in Canada. And I mean, we have a little bit of confusion when it comes to distributors because like certain movies will go to Canadian distributors distributors here, but some studios have their own Canadian arm. Sometimes they just get released by the same, you know, overall North American thing. So, but the release dates were always pretty similar. But when it came to streaming services, it was like all these companies made big deals with Canadian broadcasters. So you had FX make this huge deal with Rogers, um, which is why Show Me had all the FX stuff. And then they made that deal in uh, 2011. So I'm assuming it was like around a 10 year deal. I couldn't figure out like how long that contract was, but they made a deal with Rogers to launch FX Canada because FX Canada is just a Rogers channel. It's not necessarily, you know, Fox or Disney even like now that they've inherited that, but Disney would have inherited that deal, which is why none of the FX stuff is on Disney plus star. I have a feeling that you're probably going to get that stuff within the next year or two. Like I, when the I rights feel expire like, or last. Yeah. Yeah. So when that, contract with rogers expires for fx canada i could see that stuff coming off fx canada fx canada closes down or rogers rebrands it as something else which they've done time and time again as well as that stuff then move on to disney plus star i don't know that for a fact or anything and i have no idea how long that contract was that they signed with fox way back in the day but um, I'd expect that it's soon. Like if they signed it in 2011, like a 10 year deal makes sense to me. Um, but that's just me hypothesizing. And then the same thing goes for Crave and, and the HBO stuff, right? Like, yeah, it's, well, even Amazon it, prime, like it's interesting yeah. because like Amazon prime in Canada still has Buffy, the vampire slayer, uh, available, but now it's also available on star. So I wonder what the, the rights were with that in terms of like how both of these platforms are able to have it at the same time. Yeah. I don't know how that works. Like sometimes they're exclusive deals. Sometimes it was just, you know, broadcast versus streaming versus who knows? Like I remember there was a time where lost was on multiple streaming services and things like that too, or certain TV shows. And I mean, you just said it with Buffy. So, um, and that's I, not I have, available by the way yet. Lost is probably yeah, going to be coming in the next because it's on Amazon little while. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's strange. Like it's just, they've made all these individual deals on all these different streaming services. So, um, it's, It'll be a little complicated for a while. And then there are things even like Nomadland, which is out right now on Hulu for everyone to watch in the in the US. But here in Canada, it's getting a short theatrical release in the next coming weeks, right? March 19th. And then, and then it's yeah. supposed to come out on Star uh, mid-April, I believe. Yeah. So like a couple weeks theatrical release here in Canada and then go straight to Disney plus Star. So like that's... I kind of have a feeling that that's kind of how it'll go moving forward, depending on uh, like, it might not be one-to-one when things get released on Hulu, but it seems like if they didn't make a separate deal to, for it to go to streaming services, like that's probably how it'll go. And like Zack Snyder's justice league is going on crave, but certain HBO max stuff like Godzilla versus Kong, which is coming out in a couple of weeks is just going Don't to forget Tom it. and Jerry, uh, Tom and Jerry, which is out right now that you can rent for $30. Um, 
like it, it it's confusing and but I mean, I don't know. It's the world we live in. And I, we got that whole, if, to stay on the topic of streaming services, since you've been kind of uh, tinkering with Disney Plus Star, like Paramount or is rebranding CBS All Access or Viacom, whoever the hell owns them. Uh, Viacom is rebranding CBS All Access to be Paramount Plus. And last week they announced like a bazillion shows <laughs> uh, for this streaming service. And I just tweeted out like too many streaming services because I'm just like, it's getting to a point now where you've got to spend $150 if you want to watch everything a month. Um, that's a little hyperbolic, but I mean, there's that many of them out there now. And with Netflix getting up to $20 a month close to and, and things like that, I'm like, which ones, where's the fallout, Eric? Like I, I was talking, I feel I Paramount think was, is the fallout because like yeah. literally the only thing of interest and not that I was, necessarily interested in, in it i was kind of bummed that it didn't become the show that he wanted it to become rugrats it, rug, yes rugrats <laughs> uh it was twilight zone being canceled and, yeah you know after two seasons and 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 i feel like jordan peele after get out kind of spread himself a little bit too thin with three or four shows that he was working on while also directing us and getting ready to shoot his next movie and like nobody was really watching it but it was also confusing because of how it was airing in canada like not to say that like you know i didn't even know the second season came out (laughs) yeah literally had no idea they literally like released it on dvd and then like a couple weeks later they gave it like one of those like um print press blu-rays because it was just like let's just you know throw it out there um for people but and it was available digitally and i i so I bought the first season on Apple. Oh, I have back. it on Blu-ray. <laughs> um, and I gave it another shot. It was a good good uh, segue, Eric, because like Nevis and I were looking for another new show. And I'm like, why don't we pop on like this Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone? Because I'd watch if I'd watch. I had watched a few episodes, but because it's an anthology series and uh, we could just jump in and she didn't have to watch the first three episodes. So we jumped into the uh Anna Lily Amapur directed episode with Stephen Yun and Greg uh, Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. Um, and we watched it and I was like, I don't know about this show, man. <laughs> like it was so hit or miss on each episode where I'm like, I love Stephen Yun. I like Anna Lily Amapur. And like, I, I was just, I just wasn't feeling that episode at all. And by the end of it, and I, I liked the, uh, thirty thousand feet remake the third one. <laughs> yeah, um, which they keep I, going back to. This one yeah. had Adam Scott, and like he's listening to he's like a, a podcast. podcast. Yeah, and I liked that episode, but then I just felt like it was so inconsistent. And the cast was obviously great in that first season. And I was like, oh, when's the second season coming out? And I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, it got canceled, and it already came out. Um, and I'm like, all right. Yeah. And and that's like the only bit of news I really took from the Paramount Plus streaming site. And, and, and I mean, you already made the joke about it and the disturbing new animated version of Rugrats, which gave me chills just looking <laughs> at the thing. I couldn't look at it for more than like four seconds. Um, yeah, it almost it reminded me of like weird. what the Simpsons would look like in reality, like that kind of ugliness. That episode where they 3D animated Homer when he was walking. No, no, no. no. You know those images that you see sometimes on Twitter oh, where like, yeah, the, yeah. like the lifelike renderings of Simpsons characters or like cartoon characters and they're really horrifying to look at? That's yeah. what I was reminded of looking at the Rugrat uh, image. 
No, um, I feel you. But they announced so much. Like I, I don't care about Frasier, the Star Trek stuff that they've been doing. I how know dare people, you? How dare you uh, say that about Frasier? Frasier's going to be a podcaster. You know that. Yeah. Now. Like that's going to be his thing. Um, I don't care about Frasier. The Star Trek stuff is, is like I've heard people really like Discovery, or some people do. I know some hardcore Trekkies um, don't. But um, and Picard, I I heard mixed things about, even though I was intrigued by it. Did you ever watch it? No, uh, you know what? I did watch the pilot, but the thing that bothered me the most about it, and I was talking to um, a friend of mine and, and, and an editor, and he's like a huge Star Trek fan. Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard, they're they're trying to be they're they're trying to kind of come into the 21st century and include like you know swearing and sort of be grittier and darker and you don't need that for star trek you don't need to have like the ultra sort of hyper violent stylized sort of kinetic editing that you know the jj abrams movies had or you don't have to kind of compete with star wars and i feel like the new versions or the new iterations of star trek are just trying way too hard to be cool and it's like Star Trek was always a dorky show, and that's kind of what made it kind of special, is that it was just kind of really nerdy and all about like procedural elements and like sort of like, you know, being sort of ambassadors from Earth to other yeah, It was very scientific and exploratory, yeah. right? Like it But was when they more- drop F bombs or it's like, oh, someone said shit, or when you 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 know, like Picard's like becoming like Liam Neeson and Taken, you're just kind of like this is this is not the direction that this needs to go in. And I just didn't really feel like going any further with it. No, I, I feel you on that. And like to go through some of the stuff that they announced. So the, they did announce that um, some movies are going to get like an exclusive window on Paramount plus only like 45 days after their, uh, they premiere in theaters. So things like mission impossible and a quiet place part two and other Paramount movies. But then they announced shows, they uh, announced a Criminal Minds reboot, Flashdance, uh, Halo, based on the video game series, is moving from Showtime uh, to Paramount+. Plus. Uh, Landman, <laughs> I have no fucking idea what these things are. Love Story, Mares of Kingstown, Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, The Italian Job is getting a, a new show. The Isn't Man it a sequel series too? Uh, Italian job. When the grandchildren of the legendary Charlie Croker uh, inherit his old safety deposit box, the quest for the infamous Italian bullion is reignited. The series from Paramount Television Studios is executive produced and written by Matt Wheeler of Hawaii Five O and produced by Donald DeLine. Um, oh, it's going to be yeah. Good. So it's a legacy series, right? Yeah. Um, but you know what? I mean, saying that, I mean, I would have never thought Cobra Kai was going to be. that's true i mean i'm not i'm not shitting on any of this stuff i just don't know i mean remember we we kind of shit talked apple tv plus when it first got announced too right and i think i've kind of come around on apple tv plus and think they have some you know good stuff because i think apple has so much money to throw around that they can kind of experiment or let people have freedom or you know outbid people on certain things um and I've kind of come around on Apple TV Plus, and it's not that expensive. And Apple and Amazon are the two that I would have assumed would fail, and that they would, because um, they're not, you know, first and foremost like content producers. Like I, I hate using again the content thing. We can go into the the Scorsese article, but like um, they're not, you know, studios first 
they are, you know, these big tech companies or, uh, you know, just big, big, gigantic companies that do many, many different things. They're so I always assume overlords, Matt. Yeah. And I, I always assumed that they wouldn't care enough and it would just fail, right? Like, but they have so much money that they can almost coast for a long time and then eventually, you know, have people come their way by throwing enough money at them or get that quality show. Or even if something fails, they can just kind of sweep it under the rug and, and do something else for $200 million and it doesn't matter. Um, Cause I always thought the big three would be, or the big two right now is Disney plus and Netflix. Um, am I missing? Or oh, an HBO I think is a big player, but max I know got shit on when it launched, but HBO is such a big brand to me. And they were kind of like, you know, the first when it comes to these adult, you know, hour long commercial free dramas, right? Like, and, and things like that. Um, so I always thought those would be the big three, but now you have Apple and Amazon kind of coming in. And I feel like those are your big five now. Will any of those kind of fall out? But then I feel like everyone else, there's no way you can compete with those five. Like Paramount, there's no way this succeeds. There's no way. No, they and don't like, have the revenue stream that that both Amazon and Apple have. And, and like Disney, yeah. Yeah, and, and Disney. And and you have to also look at like Paramount as well as Paramount is really confusing me right now because like they're selling off a lot of their stock as well. And I mean again content like they had the trial of chicago 7 and they sold that to netflix and then they buy the rights to the new scream movie so to me it's almost like i, I almost thought that paramount was going under like was going to literally sort of you know close close up shop and sort of sell off their their titles to the and highest it seems bidder. like they're bringing back every property they've ever done. Yeah, well, Love Story a, as a series? Yeah. Come on. I mean, the Ryan O'Neill, Ali McGraw thing? Like it, like that? Like they are literally throwing everything that they have at a wall Gre- and going to Greece see Grease is getting a TV series. Yeah. Like um, Reno 911's coming back, which I know it tried to go on Quibi for a while. <laughs> that um, was the one that really fell, was Quibi. <laughs> And then Beavis and Butthead's coming back. Workaholics, like they have well, a bunch. Did Beavis of and MTV. Butthead also come back for I, like I, uh, like they I reinvented think. it as well for a little bit? I have no idea, dude. And then like I'm like, just does anyone care about any of this stuff? And I no. just can't. I can't see people paying ten dollars a month for another streaming service unless one of these shows like Halo or. Um, or one of the Star Trek shows becomes like must watch. But I always felt like discovery. It was still only Star Trek fans that were really checking it out. Like, I don't think it really broke through because no one wanted to, no one subscribed to CBS all access, which is why they're trying something different and calling it paramount plus. So I I don't know, dude, like even I, this is a weird, this is going to be a ballsy take, but like I could see out of those big five, if anyone is going to eventually go away, it's Netflix. (laughs) Well, they're like, digging themselves into a debt yeah. that they probably can't pay back, right? Like, because yes, they, they have the, the only, money, but they're yeah. they're they haven't paid it back, and we don't know what you know they 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 have to pay back yet. And they were in such a good position, which is why they got all those loans and and why they could go into so much debt is because they were the only player for the longest time, so they were the one dominating. But now, when you bring in people like a Disney Plus, which is almost caught up to them, not almost, but like halfway of catching up to Netflix subscribers when Netflix had to work for the last 10, 
10 plus years to get there and disney's done it in one year to get halfway there and then you have like you know all the marvel and star wars stuff that's coming out all their franchises like i could see them surpassing netflix's subscribers like within you know a year or two and then you have people like apple and amazon like you said that have so many different revenue streams that they can kind of you know scoop up all the big talent they can just kind of wait it out because they're making money on other things that it doesn't necessarily matter if their production arm makes a ton of money where Netflix really only has their production arm, right? All these library shows are going to go back to their original rights holders because everyone wants them for their own streaming services. Netflix original content, yes, they're producing so, so much. But now that there's so much more competition, you're going to see people signing deals with Apple, signing deals with Amazon, signing deals with Disney or or going to Marvel, going to Lucasfilm or whatever. You're already like seeing that, that right? Yeah. Like- and, and then you're going to go Netflix's quality too is like what? You get one great thing for every 20 things they produce. And that depends if it's produced in-house, like it, it's it's made by Netflix or if it's something that they pick up because they do pick up some really good stuff. But at the same time, when when they pick up, you know, festival movies, they tend to bury those films, um, especially like, again, like the smaller ones. So, you know, if, if they're they're going to put a obviously a lot of time and effort into something like the Irishman, but they didn't put as much time or effort into Dick Johnson is dead, you know, like, so like, that's another thing as well, where it's like, will filmmakers start to go, I'm not going to go there. Cause you're just burying my movie. Yeah. Cause, cause the brand, like, I think, I think it was Lulu Wong who actually was talking about this when like doing the, the Hollywood uh, report. She turned table. down a higher offer by them. Yeah. Right? Because, because people like Scorsese or Noah Baumbach, you know, they, they're brand names, right? It, doesn't matter where their movies end up there's always going to be an audience for it because of of who they are i mean lulu wong now might be able to sort of generate more of a fan base because of people seeing the farewell but like what she was talking about made perfect sense like the farewell would have been lost in the shuffle in the queue of of netflix and just kind of buried and and a24 did an amazing job you know, marketing that film and really supporting her as a filmmaker. And she was just really smart about how to get that movie out there to the most people as possible. Um, so again, again, like you have to, like, you have to look at it. Like Netflix is, is looked at as filmmaker friendly and that they, you know, don't really have as much in terms of, um, you know, control meddling, meddling, you know, they let the filmmaker make their movie and, you know, give the money that they need for for worse. Yeah. Maybe with the idea of like, okay, can you use these cameras? Cause these are the ones we have available and things like that. Um, but again, like you have to look at like, what's the long term sort of viability of a movie on Netflix. Um, that's also even why, like, I'm happy that some of those Netflix films are getting released through Criterion because if Netflix falls, it would be interesting to know what would happen to all of those movies and TV shows that aren't available on Blu-ray and, and, you know, would they be sold off to one of these other streamers? And, and I don't think that that's a, like necessarily a, a, a like a, a completely far out there 
prediction. I can see it happening, man. Yeah. Like I, you sometimes don't want to be the first, right? Because then that means other people can come in and iterate on what you've done and do it better. Companies that have the money to come in and like Netflix started out small as a, you know, mail in DVD and, and Blu-ray and video game service. Right. I remember getting those Netflix envelopes in the mail and it was so weird when that even started and then uh them putting blockbuster at a business it like might come full circle where you see these big studios that go hey we don't need to sell our content to you anymore we can just do our own stuff and like and have our own streaming service and learn from all of netflix's mistakes and um and from the 10 years of them already doing it and seeing what worked and what didn't like i think you're already starting to see that with disney plus their surge in subscribers, you know, they're already sort of taking over the world with their franchise filmmaking and, and things like that, that like they can kind of look at what Netflix has done. Cause I feel like more people have talked about Mandalorian and now WandaVision. Well, especially than, WandaVision. I feel like WandaVision yeah. has made it appointment television in a way that like what cable Netflix has was. never done. Right. And releasing one episode each week and like hearing, you know, like the last couple of episodes, like certain you know, countries or locations or regions surging because everybody's trying to watch it at midnight or 3 a.m. or, you know, whatever time zone, you know, the the, the latest episode is, is available. It's it's become they, they they have been able to create an addiction a lot quicker um, with their content than Netflix did. Yes, Netflix, when they started doing the streaming service, they had you know, House of Cards, but that still took some time to kind of rev up and to get people interested in, and it eventually kind of got the gears going with that and Oranges is the New Black. But like you're saying, Disney has learned from the groundwork that Netflix has done. And so now they're taking all the credit that Netflix has kind of, you know, made over the years and sort of just using that for, for themselves. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's just what business is. It is. You know, it's, yeah. it's what, what companies do. And, and, you know, like at this point you'd have to think like, okay, so universal and Sony are like maybe the two outliers that Pe- they have peacock right oh, right Universal yeah. has peacock but yeah. like then peacock is like sort of a free streaming service but you can pay to not have commercials i think and is and it I american think, like, only american only so like it, it's so strange like i think hulu will be gone and it, disney will just lump that into star like they will they'll brand star on everything eventually as the fifth pillar on disney plus and it'll all be through disney plus i think um and then you got to think Peacock and Paramount Plus are are not going to survive unless they find a way like maybe Peacock doesn't necessarily need to, you know, be super successful and they can just kind of, you know, keep it, you know, simple like Par- or Universal's not going to put Fast and Furious on there and shit like that. Like they're just kind of keeping it low key and doing a few things. But I don't know. I mean, they they and Loki's on Disney Plus. We should mention that that's coming out on Disney. Yeah, Plus. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just don't know, dude. I could see an Apple or an Amazon eventually buying a Netflix. I, I obviously Disney can't buy anything else. They've they own too much already. Um, and then Warner with HBO Max, I think will be okay just because they also have, you know, the whole HBO brand and then Warner Brothers film studio with the DC stuff. I think you're going to start to see them imitate Marvel more with this, um, you know, starting with that John Cena uh, series for HBO Max, the a peacemaker for uh, the DC one. And like, you're starting to get more of that stuff too. And I think HBO will be, HBO Max will be fine. Um, 
But to me, the the most interesting thing in this all is that will Disney overtake Netflix and will Netflix start to struggle in the next five to 10 years? And I kind of have a feeling they will unless they like, and it's almost like they put out quantity over quality, which has always been their thing, right? Where it's just like, you know, we have, we hit so many people. We're so worldwide. There's so many different groups of people that have Netflix. It's just, everyone has it. So let's make something for everyone instead of like what Disney's doing and even Apple to an extent, um, I feel like are honing in and going, this is going to be our big series for, you know, the next month or the next couple weeks or whatever, and then move on to the next thing and focus on that one thing to get everyone to want to come in. Then you have all the library titles and you have the other things. I think you need more than just one, but Netflix is doing like two to 10 series or TV shows or, or movies per week that you're just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm, how do I keep up with all of this? What is good? What is bad? Like, and what's coming out and when they're not as direct with their scheduling. Like you'll see like a trailer or, you know, something pop up uh, a day before, like to like a teaser trailer to be like, Oh, the trailer is dropping tomorrow. And this is now going to be released then. Like they're not specific with, you know, scheduling for the most part. And it's almost like you turn on Netflix on a, a, you know, a Friday morning or a Thursday night or, you know, going into Friday and it's like, oh, this is now available. I didn't even realize that was there or something that, you know, you, you might be interested in that becomes available. You don't know when it's available because it hasn't been properly marketed. And then like what you're saying with, with Disney plus they're building on a brand or their brands that are already successful. So they're honing in on, you know, the thing that people want or what they'll specifically seek out. So they'll come to Disney plus for the Mandalorian for WandaVision because it's part of star Wars. It's part of Marvel. And they, they, they know the world where Netflix doesn't really have, one of those franchises they've been trying trying so hard hard yeah they've been trying to like even with like the old guard last year like that i mean we were kind of outliers in terms of not really loving the movie but you could tell that they were trying to make that or they're trying to make that their their superhero franchise and trying to build on that but you look at netflix and you're kind of like okay what what does netflix have now that is kind of something that everybody will watch well, stranger yeah, the, things. Stranger that's Things, that's it. And and yeah, no, The Last Dance is fantastic. A lot of people like The Queen's Gambit, but those but are again, things that's that an are ESPN anomalies. thing too. Yeah. It's in the US, it's an ESPN, it's a Disney thing, isn't it? Like Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. So it's I think Stranger Things is their one thing that they'll milk until you know, those kids just don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, until they're 35 um, or something. Yeah, like and that. then they'll come back 30 years later and Stranger whole, Things uh, generations. Yeah. Um but I think Stranger Things is that one, you know, cultural, you know, event that they have still. Whenever that drops, I think everyone usually drops everything you're doing. And and I mean, Hill House did pretty well for them, or the Haunting series, and like they they have those. I mean, Bridgerton obviously did very well in in the end of last year, and they always still have those shows because they put out so much stuff that you're you're you know you're bound to get one hit out of all of the things that they're doing like it's just like again to the joke i made about paramount is like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and that is the netflix method right it's like we'll make everything and you know what if five of those things are good great and then if that keeps you along and then we've all been subscribed for so long where you're like fuck like 19 dollars a month is getting pretty pricey and you're like how much do i watch on netflix but then you're like 
well, I'm not going to cancel it because I guess I use it enough that you're like, or you split it between four people in your household or something. And you're like, well, it's only $5 each. It's just like you end up sticking with it. And I remember even some inside baseball stuff is like when I worked at show me, it's like, if you can get someone to subscribe for three months in a row paying, it's most likely that they'll never cancel it. Unless it's like creating a routine, right? Yeah. It's like you have to do like there, there are rule when it comes to making a routine, it's like you have to stick with it for at least a couple of weeks to make it kind of a regular thing. If you subscribe to a company, as you're you're mentioning for, for more than three months, then the likelihood of them keeping it is, you know, they don't want to be hassled with canceling the subscription, which is a headache sometimes too. But then you get into the HBO territory and they were in a tricky thing where HBO became that place where you would just cancel it and you would resubscribe when the show comes back that you want, right? Like they didn't have enough stuff that kept you. I mean, they've always tried, at least personally, I'm speaking for me and maybe not the majority of people, but I kind of always felt that HBO was that one network where it's like, okay, you know what? Uh, I'll subscribe when Game of Thrones is back or I'll subscribe when The Sopranos is back or I'll subscribe when whatever is back. Like they always had like one big hit show. And the then flagship they had a, show, yeah. yeah. And then they had a bunch of things that were like, oh, I might get around to that when I resubscribe to- <laughs> I'll watch John like, from Cincinnati at some point. <laughs> yeah, when I resubscribe for Game of Thrones, I might go on demand and watch the rest of Curb Your Enthusiasm or something, right? right. Like Or The Wire. Like the I think yeah. The Wire benefited quite a bit from- the Sopranos in that like a lot of people would subscribe to HBO because the Sopranos was what it is, this cultural phenomenon, this amazing piece of television. And then people discovered, Oh, the wire is just as good in terms of its quality and it's, and it's, you know, storytelling and it's sophistication in developing characters and, you know, Baltimore in this world. And with that, like, I feel like it sometimes benefited that in like Oz as well. But yeah, like you get Sopranos, you get Game of Thrones, you get shows that are these cultural phenomenons, but they do also have like HBO themselves that as, as, as a brand, as a, as a studio, I mean, like they always pride themselves on it's not television, it's HBO, that it's above that quality of, you know, network television. So they always had something going on in between, you know, bigger shows that kind of were, were able to amass an audience. Even something like Deadwood. Deadwood is kind of a cult show. Six Feet Under. Si- well, yeah. Six Feet Under actually was quite popular, but like Deadwood was one of those shows that it's a Western, so it's not going to appeal to a lot of people already. It's very uh, written and, and it's it's brutal at times and violent, but it found an audience. And it's also very weird, that show, um, considering some of the content that's in it. Um, but, but it eventually kind of amassed this cult audience. And that probably also, again, benefited because you had the Sopranos kind of paving the way and sex in the city, sex in the city and the Sopranos were like the two kind of big shows that everybody was watching on HBO when it kind of first started. Yeah. And then I think it's only going to take Hulu to get merged with Disney and them having that star brand on everything where they can start to make more adult dramas as well. Right. So then they'll start even chipping away at that stuff from HBO and from uh, and from uh, Netflix and things like that and lure people over where you're not necessarily making a Hulu original now, you're making a Disney Plus original, but because they're allowed to do that more adult content, you might, you're never going to get the super dark stuff that probably would, you know, get made on an HBO or a Netflix, but like 
you know, I, I feel like they, Disney still needs to branch out from that franchise filmmaking and you are going to get some of the searchlight stuff. And they already announced that, you know, they partnered with Hulu to release a lot of searchlight movies. And I feel like that might branch into television as well, but um, who knows, man, but it's going to be a fascinating, like this first 10 years of the streaming wars have been, you know, insane. And, and who knows where we're going to be in the next 10 years. Like, I feel like only a couple of them are going to survive and maybe that big five are the one. And one of those drop out. Like I, I, I just can't see Apple or Amazon dropping out just cause they have so much money. And then I feel like Netflix is the one that's on the cusp of like, fuck, we need to like get some more bangers in here that make everyone because if we start losing all of our library content and we also you know only have one good show every you know six months or something like that um or once a year uh people are going to do the old hbo thing and like you know drop it resubscribe drop it resubscribe which isn't going to sustain like um you know the massive debt that they've <laughs> they've um put up accumulated, with because they yeah. yeah accumulated because they've been making so much stuff so it'll be interesting they're still looking for that franchise like they want to be taken seriously like every year they get more and more oscar nominations and like uh, but again like i don't think they'll win this year like i think it'll probably be nomadland uh, i mean trial of the chicago 7 could possibly you know surprise it's mediocre enough for you know it to win <laughs> um it, it's so like i i wouldn't be totally surprised by that but um i really think it's nomad lands to lose so it's funny even searchlight coming in there and being like fuck you netflix um yeah you'll get get the steven spielbergs being like vote for nomad land or vote for minari or vote for the father because they were movies that were released by traditional uh studios even during the pandemic right where the trial of chicago seven as as you perfectly mentioned is is that straight down the line uh middle of the road movie that usually wins I saw it. I'm like, it'll probably win Best Picture. It's just mediocre right. enough, yeah, and, and like, it will get nominated, and it probably will win some awards for like screenplay or something like that. But it's yeah, it's if it wasn't with Netflix, it would be like I would say yes, it would it would definitely win Best Picture. But because there is a stigma towards Netflix, and it will also just be um, telling once things go back to some sort of or resemblance of normal what people will decide to cancel because they're not at home as much. So after, you know, post pandemic, you know, like I could see more people, you know, canceling their subscription to Netflix because, you know, people are at home still quite a bit and they want a variety of stuff to, you know, be entertained by and whether they actually even get to watching stuff or just scroll through their queues, they at least have it at their, their hands. But if they're, you know, working or going out, places or traveling they might think like okay well i don't really need you know a b and c from these streamers so i'm just going to you know save some money here and and i'll stick with disney plus because they have star and they have the shows that i'm most interested in and netflix right now you know doesn't really have anything that i can't catch up with on another time yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. And all the research I've done and read, it says like most people will pay for three streaming services. Like that's kind of, and I mean, there's going to be the hardcore people that, you know, will subscribe to everything or, or close to everything. Like right now I have Disney plus I have Netflix 
I have Crave, although I did call Bell yesterday and I was like, I want to cancel my TV service. And they're like, well, if you cancel your TV service, you lose out on your internet discount, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, all right, I'll just keep everything. They're like, but we'll give you Crave for free for a year. And I was like, all right, sick. I'll take that. So like, I don't, I'm not paying for Crave right now, but we do have Crave and then I do have Amazon. But again, I don't think I would pay for Amazon unless I see they offer me something else right like i pay the 70 dollars a year for amazon prime which gets me the free shipping gets me the twitch uh stuff gets me like other benefits other than just their streaming service because i I would say amazon is the one that i use the least the person i hear using it the most is you uh eric because you're like i watched some random ass movie that was on amazon prime or something and like the only other people i hear that use amazon is like someone who would watch you know one of their original movies or something like that i don't really I, i don't know maybe there's other people that use it more frequently but like that's why i think if anyone amazon was the one that would drop out but again they have so much money that they'll never i feel like they'll just always have it there they won't back down and 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 apple is the same way where they'll they'll keep going yeah they'll they'll cancel you know series that don't work or what have you but they'll they'll green light another five to see what what'll work and they have the money to do so and yeah i I do use amazon uh prime uh quite a bit it's it's interesting though with amazon prime it's it's mostly to catch up on on catalog titles that might not have a original stuff i don't really watch any of it no i don't either and like the the stuff that they do have that's I keep forgetting Sound of Metal is not on Amazon Prime in Canada. That is yeah. through uh, Canadian uh, Pacific Northwest Pictures here. So that's VOD. It uh, was 99 cents to rent. Uh, so it might be coming to Amazon Prime at some point. But then again, like they do get some stuff that like trickles in eventually like Palm Springs or um, Shirley, which is which is good in terms of like getting people to catch up on stuff that might not be available. Like Run has still not come to Canada, um, which is uh, – interesting but i'm sure that will eventually make its way to star because it was on uh, available on hulu and then like you have to think as well like something like a24 selling off false positive to hulu is that going to end up on uh, oh did they i didn't even see that yeah so so they so they did that quite a while ago but then you think like okay well you know there are certain titles like um the united states versus uh billy holiday or or happiest season which in canada those are, are are also Hulu in the US, but in Canada, E1 has them first, and E1 is releasing them on premium VOD. Um, actually, United States versus uh, Buddy uh, Billy Holiday is available um, right now. Um, it's not very good, but it's uh, it's there. And then, like you think of like something like even uh, Chaos Walking, which isn't available in the US on a streaming service, but is through Lionsgate. E1 picked that up here, and E1 isn't really a part of the movie game anymore. The industry they've kind of gone into Hasbro and gaming and like products for kids, but they're still kind of like picking up the odd title. And I think some of them are just titles that they maybe had already in a deal. before. So yeah. So like that's that getting PVOD here or what? Which one? Chaos walking. They still haven't set a release date for it yet. So it might be the end of this month or it might be April. Like that's also another really interesting thing because like a lot of people are complaining about the way that Nomadland was released in the US, but at least it was released in the US. Like we're still waiting for it to come out in Canada, you know, like, and it's supposed to be, as you mentioned, limited release in theaters that are opened uh, March 19th. And then in April, it'll be available on star. And then similar with, um, 
uh, Summer of Soul, the the Questlove doc, like that's supposed to take a similar trajectory depending on, you know, where we are by the time, you know, the summer rolls around. But um, it will be fascinating to watch what happens after the pandemic. And once people start to, you know, whether it's, it's later this year, year or, or early next year or sometime in 2022, those numbers – even though we won't get them from Netflix directly, we'll we'll start to get a sense of like, okay, what are the the, the streamers that are going to stick around? Like, yeah. who's going to win that? Who who's going to be the main character, the protagonist of Ready Player Three: The Streaming Wars? Yeah, we'll see, man. Um, we talked a little bit about award stuff, so I think it's a good segue. Uh, the Golden Globes were last weekend, um, and I succumbed to watching them i didn't want to um but it was a sunday night and there wasn't really much else to do so i was like you know what i'll just see how they are doing it because i wasn't sure what the fuck it was going to be i had no idea so tina fey and amy poehler hosted again they hosted from new york and la in person and they had first responders there as the guests um at the you know socially distanced event and they had some presenters uh in person and then everyone who was accepting awards were over zoom calls and things like that so um i mean uh, there's not much to say about them i mean you guys probably have seen the uh, read the controversies about i mean the hfpa for a long time but you know recently before this globes there was the article that came out of them you know going to the emily in paris uh, set and things like that, like flying to Paris and getting like a, you know, a, f- a five-star hotel and like, which isn't uncommon when it comes to like these, I mean, Eric, you've, you've been flown out to places and, and gone to yeah, junkets net- and Netflix things like that. Stuff. Yeah. This is all Netflix again, <laughs> which might go away after this. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but that's like, when it comes to a show like Emily in Paris that mostly got shit on by people and then it gets nominated for something like this. And I think the biggest issue is that there's like 82 people or whatever and no black members in the HFPA where there's many things wrong with that one. Yeah. No black people in your whole, whole kind of, uh, you know, organization uh, organization is unacceptable. And then only like for the longest time when people, you know, a lot of people in the industry would shit on the golden globes is like, is for the reason that it's like 80 people like, well, that's not a consensus on anything. And for the golden globes to be taken so seriously, both in Hollywood and then presented as this big award show and this lead into Oscar season, like all of this stuff is like, how do you, if I pulled 82 random people on the street, that would not be a consensus on anything. So to have 82 random journalists that are, you know, foreigners living in California, in Southern California that sort of work in the entertainment industry, producing whatever they produce over a year. And then those people being like such a small contingent that vote on these awards. That's why they've always been random and they've always, you know, you see the trends of like awarding a new show that gets, you know, an award at the Golden Globes. It doesn't win anything anywhere else. It's just like, it really, and I think studios see this is like, you can campaign to these 82 people much easier than you can campaign campaign against a whole voting body of, you know, the Academy or, or, you know, anyone that's more than 82 fucking people. So like, I don't know, I've always had problems with the globes and it's always strange to me how much power they've had in the industry. And it's, 
it's good to see people kind of finally address that, even though on the awards it was felt very half-assed of like, we're sorry, we don't have any black members. We'll try to do better. And then that was basically it. Um, and the award show itself was like fine, I guess. Like it went, it was weird seeing everyone, you know, in their homes and, and accepting awards that way. And you had some funny moments of like the very first award they, uh, uh, you 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 had uh daniel kaluuya um forget to unmute his mic or they didn't unmute his mic so it was like super awkward right away it's a literal um, get out moment and then you had like i mean there were some highlights of like jason sudeikis accepting his award in like a hoodie <laughs> like like just sitting like i am right now just sitting in his like uh someone was like he looked really stoned and then everyone was like well it is like two or three a.m. in London where he was shooting Ted Lasso and like he had to stay up for this and like um, and he ended up winning, which I don't think he expected at all um, based on his acceptance speech, too. Um, And I don't know. So there were some funny highlights of seeing, you know, Al Pacino look like he was half asleep or like um, just people either super dressed up in their house. We uh, or David Fincher taking the shot shot every time he lost. Yeah. Which I dug because um, I didn't watch it, but I watched like I saw the uh, on Twitter, the Twitter post, yeah. which th- that's all I kind of needed. And, and I think the most like truly sincere moment of the night probably or the two most sincere moments of the night were Minari winning uh, international, which is biz- again, like that's been a controversy as well, because yeah. that's an American made movie. I mean, Brad Pitt is a freaking producer on that film, um, but it, it was nice seeing Lee Isaac chung accept the award and his daughter you know hugging him that was a very sweet and tender moment and it was also a very bittersweet moment with um chadwick boseman's uh yeah. wife um widower um ex- uh, accepting uh his on behalf of yeah. of, of him and and th- i'm again like those moments are great but like the reason why i opted out not to watch the show was just because it kind of like won the globes have always kind of been boring and it's like it, the most interesting stuff is just watching like how awkward it can be or how uh, drunk people get or yeah or how drunk and then like just thinking like well you know all this is going to be available online or like the highlights will be available online i can see bill murray in his sweet hawaiian shirt drinking a martini <laughs> well afterwards yeah. so it wasn't even necessarily like a protest against the globes even though like you said and and again i don't want to sound hypocritical because i'm part of an organization that also gets bribe to you know directly like it's 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 no secret there but it's interesting because i have met one golden globe um uh member member and while they were very very nice i'm sure they are it was fun talking to them you got a sense that like this person's interests did not reflect the the majority of of the voters of those other 81 voters and because like i was talking to this person and they were like talking about like how beanpole was one of their favorite films and like uh back in uh 2019 and and that movie showed up nowhere uh with the globe so it's kind of like you know like that's kind of what you would expect to happen and and you mentioning like you know emily in paris but even years before with like you know that horrible johnny depp um Angela, oh, the uh, Sia Angel- movie this year, the yeah, music. Yeah, music. Yeah. And then Angelina Jolie, uh, The Tourist. Like, who saw that movie? I mean, well, I did kinda, because I'm an idiot. They're star but, fuckers, yeah. right? Like, well, I don't want to. the like, thing as well. Like, yeah. they're going to vote for someone like Jared Leto for The Little Things over 
Paul Racy for Sound of Metal because Jared Leto is a known douchebag and, you know, known douchebags will draw in an audience. Yeah. And that's all I really have to say. Like the winners, uh, Nomadland won um, Best Drama, Chloe Zhao won Best Director. Um, So I'm like happy for the great movies to be celebrated on such a big stage but it's like i don't know it's a double-edged sword of like it again i don't think the globes really should be taken as seriously as they are it's because they've Um, been around for a long time that's why there there's there's more of a legitimacy because of their longevity they've been around not as long as the oscars but they've been around for over 70 plus years so that gives them a certain amount of weight it doesn't affect the nominations like the nominations for the Oscars are closer to SAG or to the guild nominations because you have guild members voting that are also Oscar voters, right? So those are the nominations that you should be paying attention to when it comes to the ultimate nominations. Now that doesn't even mean that that's going to be a hundred percent because you get late breaking movies like Judas and the black Messiah. I still think has a chance of getting a best picture nomination because it is a movie that was kind of being introduced in December and into January with Sundance. So that could have an effect on certain categories, but with the golden globes, their thing is like a lot of critics groups is that they kind of boost people up or boost a film or, or give some sort of, um, you know, spotlight attention to. Yeah. So that helps with, you know, something like, you know, uh, the United States versus uh, Billy Hall. Very good movie, but that performance is is strong enough, and 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 I think that with that Golden Globe moment, that could help in terms of getting more people to watch the film before the voting deadline. Voting, which is like in the next couple of weeks, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Um. Yeah. So this I mean, other than the that, Borat won best. So. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. But you guys have your nomination, so this is voting on yeah. who wins, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. Borat won best comedy. Um, you had a couple surprises in there, which the globe always has because there's so few people voting that it feels like, you know, you, you could get 25 votes and maybe win because all the other ones are spread out <laughs> over the other nominees. Um, so you had like, uh, it was Jodie Foster. Um, uh, the Mauritanian. Won. Yeah. 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 And like, which is funny because everybody was like, expected. oh, Jodie Foster beat Glenn Close again because uh, Glenn Close lost to her uh, for the um, the accused versus uh, dangerous liaisons in the 80s. So that's funny. Yeah. So other than that, there weren't. I, you mentioned some of the highlights. It's it's the meme stuff that comes out on on social media as people are watching the funny tweets. You yeah, Bill Murray in his Hawaiian shirt, Jason Sudeikis in his hoodie, uh, lots of pets. Like there are were some cool things that I like about this version of the award show where like people could celebrate with their children. So you saw them come into frame and things like that, which I thought was pretty adorable. And like people celebrating with their families in that moment, I think is is really sweet. Or people having their dog or their cat like on their lap as they're kind of sitting in a ball gown and like but or I almost pre- like Aaron Sorkin yes yes exactly and then yeah there were some call outs to some people being like you know we're in the middle of a pandemic still so you saw the people that were either by themselves or the people that were sitting there with like you know 20 people or something like that and then uh it was very obvious uh uh 
And I liked seeing inside some people's house, Jeff Daniels looking like he's my dad sitting in the spare bedroom, like, <laughs> like the flannel shirt, like, yeah, the flannel shirt. And someone's like, it looks like he literally didn't even tell his wife that he was nominated. And he was just like, I got a work thing, honey, I'll be done in like half an hour or something. I'm going to lose anyway. Like, so I'm going to go into the spare bedroom for a few minutes and like uh, stuff like that. I thought was very funny. Um, but overall, the show is pretty standard. Like I thought Amy Poehler and Tina Fey did a, an okay job. Uh, Tracy Morgan saying Sal instead of soul was pretty funny. <laughs> but like, um, but other than that, um, it was very, very okay. And um, I'm curious to see how the Oscars will be, right? Like, I mean, uh, we're not getting them until April, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. March yeah. 15th is the nominations. Um, so there's still some time to kind of figure out how they can, they're, they're kind of like the Disney plus in this situation. They, they have time to learn from the mistakes and the, the positives of, um, the golden globes and, uh, even the critics choice awards where it's like, okay, we'll see what they did, what worked and we'll implement those things into our show. But I'm sure by the time they get to, April, maybe there will be more people that are vaccinated, but they'll still it, have the U.S. is already rules. doing a good job with vaccinations, right? Yeah. Like they have a good amount of people, so I could see you know rapid testing and vaccinations. They could, I'm not saying do a obviously a a full like theater full of people, but it, they could, you know, it would look weird, but you could put like the cutouts like they did at like some baseball games and shit like that. Like could be funny <laughs> of like you, you could have an audience with people socially distance and do an in-person, you know, at least just for the people who are nominated, right? Like you might not have everyone there, but like if you got a nomination, you and a plus one or whatever might be able to go to the event in person, depending if you're comfortable. A lot of people might say no, but um, I could see them. I don't know if they've, announced what they're doing if they're doing a fully digital event or or they haven't yet they haven't revealed like their plans because i think they're just waiting i think it's just a wait and see kind of thing where isn't someone interesting producing it this year steven soderbergh yeah soderbergh okay so you know he'll shoot it on iphone he'll send everyone an an iphone like i'm doing with my camera and maybe they'll just get everyone to do it at home i don't know yeah it'll be unsane at the oscars yeah um what else, Eric? So uh, I'm going to pull out my iPad and see what else we want to talk about. Were there any trailers or anything this week? Uh, I don't think so, but I could be wrong. To be honest, I have not been paying attention to uh, trailers really in the last week or no, so. It's the last year, really. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll look some up. And then any movie news that we want to talk about other than the Golden Globes? Uh, No. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really at all. Um, I'm trying to look at uh, this iPad has been really helpful because when we're recording, I don't have to just like go on my laptop as we're, oh, I guess a bad trip trailer came out today, which we hadn't watched yet. Um, oh, we got the army of the dead trailer trailer and Luca. So we did get a couple things. So um, we can talk about that. Um, so, uh, army of the dead, uh, Eric, are we living in the best or worst timeline to get two Zack Snyder movies within like a month of each other? <laughs> well, that's a good question, Matt. Uh, I, I have a feeling that I will be more tolerant towards, uh, army of the dead, um, just because it'll be shorter. Um, but also I did like his, uh, his remake of Dawn of the dead. I think that probably is still my favorite Zack Snyder film. 
I'd probably agree with that. Um, this trailer didn't, it's a teaser trailer, but like the, I thought it started with some really rough looking CGI of a, you know, a decimated Las Vegas. And then, um, I, these movies like they're it, so if if you don't know go check out the trailer but like it's a heist movie taking place in a post-apocalyptic las vegas where zombies have overrun everything uh stars dave bautista and uh tons of people but, and a digitally um, uh inserted uh tig Notaro. i think that's what i'm most curious about because you didn't see really any of her in the trailer they replaced her f- for uh what's his name or no they replaced him uh chris uh Delia right Delia yeah and and I'm very curious to see how that's going to work so what happened was the way that they replaced him is that they didn't you know do reshoots in the way that they did with all the money in the world right yeah and so they digitally added her into the scene so I wonder how it's going to look in terms of like like characters eye lines and things like that you know talking to them and if it's just going to feel like she's like on her own like talking to nobody looking off to you know the the side a, and tennis, room. a tennis ball yeah yeah um I, I yeah and i i also have a question for you i mean we don't know what the world building because this isn't the same universe as dawn of the dead it's a completely different thing right um is it my understanding? I, I wasn't I, I wasn't sure if it was like still within like his his version yeah because yeah. i mean even with george romero's movies like romero doesn't necessarily consider them to like be a shared universe sequels. they're just they're just, they're yeah. just in title and like yeah. different perspectives of what a zombie apocalypse would be in different locations that's what i assume but i wasn't sure you know how they were handling that but my question is like Okay, the movie's about them like breaking into a Las Vegas like vault and stealing a bunch of money. What value would money still have in this world? That is like, that is a great uh, question, Matt. I think that is the best question to ask because you think about like the things that would become valuable in a well, just even food, like food, water, look, toilet paper, <laughs> toilet paper yeah. would be, you'd be busting into Las Vegas casinos and stealing all the toilet rolls. Um, yeah, because you look at like what we've been through in the last twelve months as. You you know, a society as, as and a you know, very a, minor version of a, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But, but the, the things that are most important, I mean, yes, money still is something to consider in, in, in our it case. It still rules all, but yeah. Yeah. But in, in the case of, you know, a zombie apocalypse, um, you even look at, at Dawn of the Dead, like Dawn of the Dead is the perfect example of like consumerism kind of still being something sort of distilled within the subconscious, even when you're dead and you still go through the routine of going to a store and looking at things you can't buy and and you're drawn to sort of a mall or 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 you know a major corporation and and with this yeah i'm very curious to see what the world building or the justification of stealing this is like is it is it only in the u.s that it's it's bad or like only their economy is still going man zombies are running around but you gotta keep the economy going you can still subscribe to netflix in in the zombie apocalypse i'm so curious to see how they like yeah make sense of that like i guess maybe the zombies are you know, in one spot and the world can go on and money still does have value and you can use it to buy goods. Because I, I'd assume at a point like that, everyone's on some sort of service that's giving you, you know, your necessities and, you know, money doesn't necessarily have any value in that world. But I mean, we don't really know enough about how that world is. There must be a reason. I'm assuming maybe it is even a commentary on some of the things that you're talking about continuing over. But like, uh, or maybe it's I like Escape from New York or in LA. Like they've put all the zombies into one 
location and that location and then the being, world is okay other than that location yeah right but it's also yeah, that weird that like you, you would want to break into vegas and like they left like somebody left something in there that was a value before creating yeah. like this prison for zombies so that was my biggest question out of that trailer I- i'll watch it i mean we just you know shit talk netflix i felt like for an hour <laughs> but um i'm i'm curious again they're looking for these bigger budget blockbuster movies and there's st- i think they're still kind of waiting for one to really you know be a huge hit like i feel like they're they've had those you know things on the cusp they've tried but like nothing has really i think broke through other than oh that was pretty good um, or I could see them, they're trying to set up a franchise, which won't take off, but um, who knows with Army of the Dead, you know. But they Zack are Snyder's being strategic obviously. with the release of Army yeah. of the Dead. Like you can tell, okay, it's like, well, people are going to watch Justice League for better or worse. And let's kind of, you know, ride on the uh, the coattails of um you know, yeah, HBO Max publicity, re- right? Yeah. yeah. And and people are going to watch Army of 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 the Dead because Again, like you have horror movie fans, you have subgenre horror movie fans that are fans of zombie movies in general, and they'll watch any zombie movie that's released. You have action fans, you have people that are fans of Dave Batista, who's made a name for himself in the last, you know, five six years, and, and then so you have Snyder fans. <laughs> you do, and that, but that's true yeah. though. I mean, so yeah. it it probably will be one of the more successful Netflix original. Uh, films to be released for them but again it's like well what's the cost of that like how much money did they put in to get a certain number of views or subscriptions yeah Yeah, not sure uh we got a new pixar trailer this week we got the teaser trailer for luca um or uh call me by your name too (laughs) hp lovecraft's call me by your name yeah um I thought this was cute. Um, I love, I, I, again, Nevis being from Croatia, obviously this takes place in Italy, but it's on that coastal kind of towns and, and Croatia shares kind of the same, doesn't share the same coast, but it's right across. You have to take uh, a ferry uh, across. So maybe yeah, there'll be you, some you reference can. to that. Maybe. Um, but I love Europe. I love these coastal towns and like, um, I, just love the vibe over there and and this movie is just uh i mean pixar is amazing we reviewed soul which you guys can check out our review you love fish dick uh yeah uh (laughs) but i i think this looks really cute and um i'm i'm intrigued so i love their original stuff more more than their you know franchises so i'm i'm all for more original pixar movies and um even though this is iterating on some things we've seen you know recently maybe but um they'll make something unique and and charming and i have no doubt that it'll be fantastic yeah i'm i'm mostly in agreement i i wasn't kind of like overwhelmed by the teaser i thought it was just kind of cute and fun that they're kind of playing into you know like the creature feature a little bit with sort of you know the the merman kind of thing that's another cabinet of woods kind of uh, thing as well but like um yeah, I, I think it just looks like a fun kind of like s- spring summer animated movie that I mean, I'm hoping it'll be maybe a little bit more memorable than say Onwards or something like I that. I was going to say the same thing, yeah. But yeah, like you can never you can never tell. And I mean, you can't always you can't always be picky with this kind of stuff. Like for every soul that you get, you have to realize that okay, not everything is going to be on that level, you know. And and so like 
I think like the next one that I'm really looking forward to because of its Toronto connection is Turning Red. I think that's the one that yeah. I'm really curious about out of all of the the announcements that Pixar made recently. Um, but I, but again, like it looks like it's going to be a fun you know adventure kids movie that maybe summer movie yeah. summer film that'll just kind of again play into um, you know eating peaches and uh, you know swimming with fish. Um. Recent news that just broke as we were recording, uh, Gore Verbinski is going to direct an adaptation of George R.R. R. Martin's Sand Kings for Netflix. Nice. Uh, I don't Gore know much about back. I love Gore Verbinski. Um, uh, do you know much about Sand Kings or no? No. I, I know uh, quite a bit about Gore Verbinski, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it looks like it is a novella that was written by George uh, – or novelette, sorry. Um, I don't know much about it, but I mean, you know, George Railroad Martin, just, uh, you know, I have no idea what the hell it's going to be, but uh, I love Rubinsky though. Like, I feel like he's the right amount of weird in all of his movies, but still uh, the shit he got away with for the longest time still amazes me. Like even with his first movie, uh, Mouse Hunt, like it's that movie just recently got released on Blu-ray and like. Well, I, I I rewatched a couple of scenes and like th- there's stuff in there that like it's being aimed as like a you know brothers kind of squabbling over the real estate of their recently deceased father. One's a chef and one's kind of you know working in um the, you know the father's uh sort of uh, tailor industry and and working at a, a factory and there's stuff in there that is so dark. And then ever since then he's just made. S- so like, much weird and creepy yeah. stuff interjected into like family friendly movies. Yeah. So he always sneaks something in there that's very strange or or dark or something like that, which I always appreciate. And is it Cure for Wellness on Disney Plus Star? No, now? it's not. No, it's okay. not. Not yet. I, I that was yeah. one of the first things I was looking for. I was just like, is this going that and shame? Those were two movies where I was like, are these now available? And they're not. But I was kind of like, can I can't not I, I cannot wait for the time when a cure for wellness is like you know an option next to WandaVision or something like that. Yeah, no, I can't wait. So I'm reading from the Collider um, article by our uh, by the Snyder Cut. <laughs> Um, the story follows a wealthy playboy named Simon Cress who collects dangerous exotic animals. One day he stumbles across a mysterious establishment called Woo and Shade, where he purchases a terrarium, uh, terrarium filled with four colonies of creatures called sand kings, which grow to fill whatever environment they are kept in. Each colony consists of a large female called the Maw and numerous insect-like mobiles that she controls via telepathy. Uh, telepathy Uh, in addition to finding food for the maw the mobiles also construct a sandcastle around her to protect the maw from invading colonies you know what sounds weird (laughs) go for it yep it almost Um, sounds like it could exist in the cure for wellness universe i want to rewatch that because i i still haven't since that first screening um i think it's a good you know, October movie, but a good anytime. It's just a good fantasy flick, man. Very it's a dark. great fish film as well. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Um, what else do we got here? I'm trying to think. Cause they're like this whole pandemic thing we've been doing, you know, we've talked about this time and time again. It's like the movie news either comes in waves and some of it is just like, all right, this person got cast here. This movie got delayed. Um, 
things like that. And we don't get like a ton of news. Uh, I think the Golden Globes were probably the biggest thing. Uh, it looks like Bruce Campbell shot a cameo or a some sort of role for Doctor Strange 2. He was in London and he kept teasing on his Twitter uh, that he was there for a movie, which, you know, working with a certain director. So you got to assume he's in uh, Doctor Strange 2. Is it going to be more than just one scene? Probably not, but I love seeing Bruce Campbell pop up in Raimi's stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always fun. Like, I love their relationship as well because, like, Sam Raimi's always talked about on the commentaries is like he wants to find roles for Bruce Campbell to be in so he can torture him as much as possible, and like yeah. that's their that's their relationship in a nutshell. Um, I, I would love it if he came back as the three roles he played in the Spider Man movies, like all three of them. As the, I could uh, see that as the if ring it's announcer, a mu- if the it's a multiverse D, thing, yeah. and uh, the uh, theater. Uh, uh, um, employee <laughs> that yeah. would be amazing that'd be will bone saw come back r.i.p but no. bone saws uh, ready <laughs> um what am i oh ti is not coming back for ant-man 3 because he is a horrible shitbag um i don't know if you saw that eric but he yeah was i did but i mean some... again you know i mean he was not like a vital member of the no. cast anyway so no not at all um man you pump for the wandavision finale or what eric i i am i'm i'm psyched uh i i'm very interested to see i, I kind of wish i didn't have this thought in the back of my head of like who's going to be that person that paul bettany's been talking about because i still think it's just him and he was making a joke <laughs> that would be good um but i just have this thing that's like i need to know who that is now or like that's the thing i'm waiting for the most instead of just kind of watching it and enjoying it so like i'm gonna have that in the back of my head being like oh so that's the person he was referring to or if if, if you're correct oh he was referring I, to himself. like i'm wor- i'm worried because i feel like so many people are like who's it gonna be and i really do think he might have just been fucking with everyone and he's like oh i because of white I don't know, spoilers everyone um if you're not caught up with wandavision leave now we're probably gonna wrap up in a sec anyway uh i'll give you three two one WandaVision spoilers are starting. Um, if White Vision, if he is doing, because there's rumors that maybe, you know, the White Vision's voice will be Ultron and like maybe Ultron will take over that body because that's what he was trying to do in Age of Ultron. Um, but that doesn't make sense for the cameo. That would be something else. But like it could just be him playing himself as White Vision and he said they share scenes together and there's fireworks so it could be someone he always wanted to work with is himself and i like that's i hope people aren't then disappointed if we don't get some mephisto or big cameo because there was rumors that like mephisto like people were like al pacino is gonna play mephisto or like stuff like well, he already that cameoed like, on the golden globes yeah which i mean would be incredible don't get me wrong and like there are rumors that Nightmare is the villain in Doctor Strange, or maybe Mephisto is going to be the villain in Doctor Strange, or one of them, because you have Baron Mordo. Um, uh, Chuatel, Edgy of character. But, like, um, I don't know. I don't know who that is going to be and if we'll get someone. I think if we get what I hope is that. You know, I hope it is Agatha all along, you know, like I don't hope they go, oh, no, she was just a foil and this is the true villain because I don't think you have enough time for that now with one more episode. Well, how like, long if, is the episode? 
an hour. An hour. Okay. They said, or close to an hour. I think they said like forty minutes credits. or fifty. Yeah, fifty something minutes, maybe fifty one. Um, so I just don't think you have enough time for that. Like I think you have to have it be Agatha, and then like if you're going to do a reveal, because I'm assuming still alive. <laughs> I'm assuming the rabbit could be someone, and if you're going to reveal that she was working with someone or who Ralph is her husband or something like that's a post credit tease that I think leads into, you know, Dr. Strange too. So like, if you're going to get a cameo, it might be a post credits cameo of who is Mephisto or who is nightmare or who is whoever, um, or Ralph. Uh, and if, if Ralph, that would be characters. amazing if the villain was just named Ralph, like the villains. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, Catherine Hahn has just been, has been killing it. And like, I mean, again, you know, going back to Netflix, if you haven't seen private life, Tamara Jenkins movie, I would highly recommend checking that out. She's uh, wonderful in that as well. Um, I mean, she's always good, but um, yeah, I mean, like it, it would kind of feel a little bit underhanded at that point to kind of like introduce a new character with a big name actor who's, unless it is a stinger for the setup, which like I have, I, we, were, we were texting about this. Like I have a feeling that as soon as WandaVision plays, like when it's, when it airs or when it streams and when it's like maybe the, 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 the next the Monday, week, yeah. the Monday, we'll probably get a press release or an announcement from Disney kind of giving us more on Dr. Strange. Because if you look at Dr. Strange now, like it, it has, I mean, they've already mentioned that it is going to connect to WandaVision that the two are connected, but I feel like they are keeping some things back with maybe some of the cast and crew because of WandaVision and not wanting to spoil maybe a reveal or something there. But I feel like once it's been out and it's played for a little bit, they will be like, okay, like, you know, the person that was in the stinger, if there was somebody in the stinger, you know, is going to be in this movie. And that was the villain the whole time. It's just that we didn't want to spoil it for everybody. Or maybe even Agatha will be a major role in, in uh, Dr. Strange, because I mean, like, I think again, that, the sorcery thing is yeah. just, it plays into it. My prediction is that we'll get Agatha will be the villain of this series. I think she is working with someone or like she's partnered with someone or knows someone after Fuck. all of this thing. I don't, God, I want an alpha flight, dude. I've been thinking about it so hard. Like I might go back and read the entire original alpha flight run because like, I'm just obsessing over like, like I want someone to make an alpha flight, you know, series or, or, or movie or something like that. Um, but anyways, it will um, happen though. You know, I it, think will it will at some point it's got to at this point. Yeah. Get that CanCon, baby. Um, like I feel Ryan Reynolds will like, be that guy like i mean even though we should have ryan Reynolds, yeah. we, like he yeah. he will be the one to push the alpha flight series the most i think that alpha flight even could be involved in deadpool 3 because i think that could be a fun way of you know kind of <laughs> we tried like, x-force let's go with alpha flight instead yeah exactly <laughs> like which is even funnier um anyways uh my prediction is that it was agatha all along there'll be some showdown with white vision colored vision um that sounded very weird. Just weird. like normal vision. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Normal vision and the, you know, sword vision. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I think that'll be that showdown with, you know, the two groups of, uh, of people, Monica and, you know, Agatha will be involved. And uh, the other question is like, was that the Fox, um, you know, version of Quicksilver or is it just, you know, I think it has to be because he had Quicksilver's powers. Like, I don't think you can just make that shit up. So like, um, like that can't just be an illusion. So 
Um, and she's saying she's just controlling that person. She's not actually manifesting them. So like, it's going to be really interesting of what happens in this last episode. And like, I really do think that Dr. Strange might show up in a post credits and then also, you know, a villain. I, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm just, I just want a quick to cut watch. to Aaron Taylor Johnson's rotting corpse and then cut back to and the fight. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a Superman reboot in the works from uh, Ta Nahisi. Is it Ta Nahisi Coates and JJ uh, Abrams? So JJ Abrams producing, uh, Ta Nahisi Coates uh, writing the film. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with him, he's a great author. But uh, recently, his comic book stuff, he did a Black Panther run, and he did some stuff with Marvel um, as well recently. So him moving over to Superman. Uh, is really interesting and uh and dc looked, in general right and dc in general yeah and it looks like i mean this is abrams signed that overall deal with warner brothers for bad robot and things like that so this looks like he's going to get more involved in the the dc side of things which is kind of interesting and uh it looks like they are going to the rumors are that they will introduce a a black superman which i think is really cool and um uh, i'm intrigued i think i i love abrams the producer the director is a little bit hit or miss obviously Um, he's a good starter he's good at starting things and finishing maybe not so much exactly but i think bad robot is a great production company. I think he is a wonderful producer. So teaming him with the right people, I think is, is really great. And, and Ta-Nehisi Coates is, is a great writer. So, um, you know, you got it. I think it's time to try something different with Superman. Um, uh, well, didn't JJ Abrams try to make a, yeah, he Superman did. Yeah. His own, like a, like a Russian Superman or like, or was I don't think the- he was going to do red sun, but like, I think it was just Superman flyby or something it was called. And I think it wasn't Kevin Smith involved at one point too, or well, Kevin or Smith a- was involved with the, the John Gruber produced version with Nick Cage and Tim Burton oh, okay. back in like That's the nineties. Yeah. yeah. And he so, yeah. always talks about like that being such a weird experience. Yeah. But I know Abrams originally wrote a Superman movie. I think that never got made right called flyby. I think it was called or something like that, but um, I'm intrigued by this. I think like, you know, the future of the DC, you know, movies is going to be individual movies and not necessarily a shared universe, but we'll see after justice league and after the flash, you know, the flashpoint and, and, and things like that, how they kind of, you know, organize that shared universe, or if it's going to shatter the, you know, the multiverse into, you know, bringing Michael Keaton's Batman into that DCEU version, getting rid of the Ben Affleck version, um, you know, Henry Cavill's Superman might pop up here and there, but it'll be completely different than this version of Superman, which is just going to be completely different from the Robert Pattinson Batman. And which like, is different from the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, which is yeah. different from the Halle Berry Catwoman, which I'm kind of fine with. Like I'm fine with doing, you, not everything needs a shared universe. And I no. feel like the one-offs have been working better for dc where they just let good filmmakers try to make good movies right as long as they don't exceed two hours (laughs) well we're getting four in a couple weeks man i know that's a that is a weird case but like that wonder woman 1984 movie did not need to be two and a half hours long like i think they could have told the same exact story and could have made it even more fun if it was just an hour and a half to two hours exactly you are absolutely correct um but you know, if Shazam most, two is three hours, I'm done. I'm bailing. No, you're seeing most of these movies, um, kind of 
you know, cap off at that two hour, 20 minute mark. It looks like, like that seems like to be the standard for blockbusters cinema lately. Like it always seems like everything is two hours and 20 minutes long. Like even the Billie Eilish documentary, not a blockbuster movie by any means, but like that's, and there was a good joke on the golden globes from, I think Amy Poehler or Tina Fey. That was like, you know, the difference between TV and movies. I, when I see something's over two hours, I'm like, I can't do that, but I'll binge watch five one-hour episodes of a tv show because i want to watch it's all psychological right yeah it really is so uh but our friend ben shane shout out uh ben messaged me uh about the billy eilish doc and he's like matt there is an intermission and i was like oh okay sweet i'm i'm in um you give me even though i can take an intermission whenever i want because i'm watching it at home but when the movie tells me to take an intermission that's fantastic so i think every movie again over two hours should have an intermission um at the halfway point what about what is will the snyder cut have an intermission is that confirmed dude i i wouldn't put it past him if he's telling it in chapters and it's for four hours and two minutes it was confirmed uh right uh so i can't believe we're doing this we are reviewing it um i've sent an email i haven't heard back or um uh i don't know if they'll even send out screeners for it but um uh, you know, Eric, w- the lockdowns—we're we're out of lockdown, so you can come here and watch it if you want. But well, I might um, have to take you up on that because I don't want to do it alone. I feel like that's like a cry for help or something. Well, it's the only way you'll get through it is like if someone else is like forcing you with a gun to your head to watch it. So, yeah. um, but we will watch it and review it. So, um, for all four hours and two <laughs> minutes of it. Um, I almost feel like we should watch the Whedon version again, just because like for like comparisons, I did that. You can, I did it last year when, um, when kind of funny did their, um, in review of the DCEU, I, I rewatched justice league and it is awful. It is just so bad. And also shout out to everyone at, uh, kind of funny. If you guys want to go check out, um, I, popped into their stream the other day while they were playing hitman three because uh one of the contracts i submitted to their uh they had a kind of funny was featured by i uh hitman's developers for featured contracts in the game so they were asking people to submit contracts to be featured with their contracts so i submitted one and then uh blessing uh, and mike were kind enough to select my contract so if you have hitman 3 you can jump in right now and you'll see the kind of funny featured contracts on the front page of hitman 3 um so eric we're only one one uh person away from xavier jens now uh because one of my things was featured in a hitman video game and then i jumped onto their uh stream to talk about you know the contract nick uh nick scarpino who you guys might know from untitled movie conversations uh was playing through my contract uh he failed miserably and just murdered everyone in the level uh instead of just murdering the people he was supposed to and then we talked movies for you know a good two and a half hours so if you want like a uh, a long movie chat about you know video game adaptations blessing and i had a good conversation about that um i suggested a bunch of movies to kevin and um, just had a good time hanging out with them and shooting the shit and talking movies and stuff like that and uh uh, so go check that out there's a replay of it on their youtube on kind of funny plays and there's also like a recap of just last week's streams that i also appeared on um so that was a blast so shout out to those guys just a shameless plug from me Um, you gotta do it you gotta do it man 
Um, trying to think of what other news we covered the Paramount Plus stuff, which I think was the uh, probably one of the bigger pieces of news of the last week or two. Well, David um, Fincher is doing, uh, yeah, working with Netflix again on The Killer with Andrew Kevin Walker as the writer who wrote Seven. Um, and also gets a shout out in Fight Club, who did a, a uncredited rewrite. Uh, he plays the character. Three of the characters' names, uh, police officers that apprehend Edward Norton's character, are called Andrew Kevin Walker. That's how they kind of oh, credited okay. him in the, That's in the film. Um, so the killer is based on a uh, French graphic novel that they've been working on. I think since uh, Fincher and, and Walker since like 2007 or so, and just couldn't get any funding for it. And so now that they've kind of got Netflix behind it, they also are bringing in Michael Fassbender to star in the lead. So again, I mean. Fastbender is really hard to insure right now because he's a, a formula race car driver. It's <laughs> such so, a weird thing that you always remind me of. That I I'm know. Like, well, you have to because like that's why he doesn't do as many movies is because the studios won't insure him because they have to spend more money on not just the insurance of him making the movie, but also of anything that happens in between the making of movie if he goes off and races somewhere, right? So um, – Netflix is 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 fitting the bill for that, so I think that'll be uh, kind of interesting. Um, I, can't, I can't believe that's a real thing. Like you, I, you've always said this to me, and I like always just took it. You know, I'm like, okay, cool. But then I just went on his Wikipedia page, and yeah, he's like competes in uh, auto racing. <laughs> yeah. So there's some breaking news. Um, oh. uh, Ridley Scott's uh, not hit the movie he's working on right now with Lady Gaga, the uh, House of Gucci movie. Um, but his film after that, his Napoleon Bonaparte film with Joaquin Phoenix, that's over at Apple uh, TV Plus, uh, just cast Jodie Comer in the uh, lead role opposite Joaquin Phoenix. Um, and she already just worked with Ridley Scott on The Last Duel with uh, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Adam Driver. We're going to get like three Ridley Scott movies like month the after man month. is like 83. <laughs> Three eighty, yeah, eighty two, eighty three, and he just keeps going. And I, I wish I had his determination because, like, I feel like I'm completely done after a workout, and this guy just like, it's like, nope, I'm, I've, I've got my next seven movies ready to go. Let's do this thing. So good for him. Um, I'm always curious to see what he's going to do, and like, it just makes me happy that he's out there working. No, I, I mean, I again, uh. Hit and misses. I still am intrigued by Ridley Scott movies. Like it's the I'll same still... thing with Soderbergh, right? Like yeah. Soderbergh's a guy that's like not everything he does is it works and is great, but at least he's always trying new things and and putting himself out there. I mean, Soderbergh's obviously much more um, inventive and experimental, where Ridley Scott is always wanting to tackle a genre that maybe he's unfamiliar with i mean obviously sci-fi and period pieces are his bread and butter but he's not afraid to do like you know a small comedy with nick cage and matchstick men or he's not afraid to do you know like uh an action film that's better than most michael bay movies in that kind of same style with black hawk down so you know or like do a fantasy movie with tom cruise in the 80s following up you know both black uh blade runner and um uh, alien with legend so he's always a guy that i'm 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 interested in what he's doing and i just think he is a, a solid filmmaker even like he's the he's he's the he's the uh the good version of ron howard <laughs> yeah that's that's a very well put um we should note that uh spider-man 3 get, got a title which is no way home uh they did a 
stunty social media thing where the three stars uh uh posted fake titles of spider-man with like i think was like homeboys or something i forget what the three titles were but anyways no way home is the title for the third spider-man movie so what does that mean uh certainly looks like multiverse stuff eric so we'll see yeah and again i think more of that maybe will be revealed in the next couple of weeks after wandavision i feel like wandavision will be the the kickstarter to all of this where like that chain reaction where okay so the end of this kind of introduces the idea of i mean it's it already you already mentioned it a little bit with evan peters but like the the possibilities of a multiverse doctor strange and the spider-man movies because you also have to think continuity wise the new spider-man movie is coming out in or supposedly is coming out in december before the doctor strange film the doctor strange movie is coming out in 2022 so continuity wise how does that work is 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 the spider-man movie going to take place before wandavision is it going to take place in and around the same time as Doctor Strange, is the Doctor Strange movie going to be a prequel to the Spider-Man film? Um, and then you even have to think of like, okay, so what's going on with Morbius, for example, as well? Because there's been comments made. You you, you talked about you know the Spider-Man image being closer to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man yeah. and Michael Keaton appearing in that uh, teaser trailer as well. So you know, is that also going to be a part of the multiverse? And and then even the Venom movie, like you know what what's going on with that? So. Yeah, I mean, Far From Home, it's already been confirmed that Far From Home takes place six months after WandaVision. So Far From Home is already post-WandaVision, right? Which is why they think when, you know, they drop multiverse that no one really bats an eye that what's his name's from the multiverse, Jake Gyllenhaal's character or whatever, right? Because they all kind of know that it exists or whatever at that point. So I still think at the end of WandaVision, we're going to get like a, you know, the house of M moment, but instead of like no more mutants, it's just going to be Wanda much like how she created, you know, the hex for, um, uh, the town. It's just going to be worldwide then, right? Like it's going to, maybe it's not a hex worldwide but she sends out that energy worldwide and it kind of affects things and opens up different people being brought in from different universes and and things like that which dr strange will probably have to then clean up in the movie right because he's the one who can actually access the multiverse and it seems like wanda will be a nexus being um and the nexus will be that kind of gateway to the multiverse and and it's gonna be i'm multiverse stuff is really really cool but i'm excited to see how they'll tackle all that. Loki got a release date for Friday, June 11th. So, you know, Marvel's not definitely not going to slow down this year. That's for sure. No, they, they will have plenty of stuff. I mean, what, what else do they have? They have uh Falcon and the winter soldier, which is, which yeah. is next black Loki. widow in May. Well, let's, let's talk about the series because Disney we know Plus, that those yeah. are pretty much all, but confirmed to be released when they're supposed to, because black widow, I still think is a bit up in the air. Like, I, I think, think it, it goes premiere, man. I really do at this point. Like, I just, I have a yeah. feeling that they're not going to, it's so intricately planned where one movie has to lead into a TV show that leads into a movie that leads into a TV show that I feel like it, it, uh, they're just going to have to, like, they're right. just going and they've to already given point, enough like, wiggle room because I, yeah. I feel like Black Widow, because Black Widow was supposed to come out before WandaVision, right? Like originally. So yeah. like it feels like maybe the continuity isn't really affected too much by WandaVision. But I where think they the can, further you get, though, yeah. the more it's probably affected. Well, it's it it probably will have to do with um 
Falcon and Winter Soldier and probably there being a reference or connection to um, Florence Florence Pugh's character. And well, especially with Hawkeye, which he's rumored to be in. Which is late this year. So it has to come out before then, right? Right. So you you brought up the point. So for on the TV side of things, we have WandaVision, which leads directly into Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which then kind of leads directly into Loki. Which is a couple months later, right? Yes. But once it finishes, it'll probably only be a month gap. Like, I mean, it'll probably, it's supposed to lead into Black Widow, which then gives Black Widow a month before Loki. And then Loki, Loki uh, airs, and then you're supposed to get What If right after that, and then you're supposed to get Miss Marvel right after that, and then you're supposed to get Hawkeye right after that. So uh, pretty jam-packed, and then you're also supposed to get Black Widow, Eternals, Spider-Man 3, and Shang-Chi all this year. So oh my God, it's I, just that's like, not going to happen. It's not. No. They they will have to. Like I I don't disagree with you on the on the Black Widow thing, but like. I could also see them if they really had to, or if they really like, they felt like that this needs to be a theater thing. Like they'll move. Like I think Shang Chi is supposed to be after Black Widow theatrically. Yeah, am, and am, then, am I correct? I and think th- in the summer in July, and then yeah. um, and then Eternals is supposed to be November, and even those got mixed around because Eternals is supposed to come first. But like, I have a feeling that. Eternals won't really tie into directly what's happening right now. So I it'll think it'll be that like the first can, guardians where there'll yeah. be like, there will be references and in, in subtle cues, but it'll kind of be like their own thing. That'll probably build up to another Avengers esque story at some point. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like if anything, like Shang-Chi will probably tie in more cause it's dealing with the 10 rings and it'll have some Iron Man influences and stuff like that. And uh, but I don't know how directly it's going to tie into it, it really depends how singular these movies are, because if they are more singular and the only ones that are connected are this multiverse trilogy or whatever, or, qu- or the shows or like, yeah, like if the multiverse stuff is in WandaVision, Loki, um, uh, Spider-Man three and Dr. Strange, then those movies all kind of have to work together where if black widow, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Falcon and the Winter Soldier because it's set in the present and is like directly after, you know, everyone comes back and after Endgame. I feel like that needs those movies that, you know, are chronological need to kind of fit into place, right? Where Eternals could span over the last you know, 2000 years or whatever. Right. So like, it doesn't necessarily have well, to same thing with it. Shang-Chi, right? Like, isn't yeah. that supposed to take place like in ancient China or like a kind of fantastical I don't world? I think of- so. I'm, I'm not sure, but like, that's a great question. I don't know. So, um, it'll just be interesting. And that's why I think like, you know, they'll have to just eventually bite the bullet and put, even though Kevin Feige or Disney won't want to, but like, although people are getting vaccinated. So like it, theaters are starting to open up in the U S and like, even if they're not full, I, I could see like a 30 day window in theaters and then it goes on Disney plus or something like that. Um, even if it's a premier access after it was in theaters, like maybe it's not $30, maybe it's $20 or $15 premier access. Like after it's been in theaters for a couple weeks, like I could see something like that as well. Um, 
So I, it's going to be really interesting. I, I I have no idea how it's. There's so much content that they're putting out. Hate the word sorry, but I'm going to continue. Yeah. To use so it. does Martin Scorsese. Um, if you haven't read yeah. the uh, El Maestro uh, article, that it's he a great wrote article for and you should. Yeah. Uh, magazine. It's really good. And 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 it's not necessarily like when you first hear like oh Scorsese wrote like an article about content, you think like it's going to be the old man you know. Well, people shouting take at the it cloud. out of context, right? Yeah, they take the headline and then it's everyone mostly does mostly a love letter to Fellini as a filmmaker and and sort of championing like you know him growing up in New York and and going to see films at the you know at his art house cinemas and smaller venues and sort of you know seeing what's available and what's coming back whether they be roadshow or you know a a new print of something and then it gets into the the idea that that definition of like what content is versus film and television and how like those things are kind of tainting one another and there's there's room for television and film and you know the the blockbuster and all that but like i understand where he's coming from and like what the what the definition of like film means because as much as we love talking about you know marvel and netflix and disney plus and stuff like that like you know we really haven't really talked much much about like you know movie or or criterion channel which are two that's streaming fair. services he brings and up those i think will survive because the they niche, are niche though yeah, yeah they're yeah. niche and i mean even something like tubi will be fine because it's a free service but like yeah we don't you're not going to look at these these smaller um streamers because they're they're not looking at the broader scope of things you know they're going to be for you know the the art house family the art house crowd the individual probably for the most part the the person that is completely consumed by cinema and there's nothing wrong with that but like going back to the multiverse thing as well i i rewatched uh infinity war and endgame and i still think that endgame is better than infinity war and i feel that they're like infinity war i don't mind it but it's just a lot of setup um but with with Endgame, what I keep thinking about as well, and sort of how it's going to relate to the multiverse, is the scene between Tilda Swinton and uh, Mark Ruffalo, and how she talks about like everything has to be put back in place. So it makes me wonder that like if Doctor Strange will have a scene where it's like time travel, right? Like in time travel movies, you know, if something isn't if you change something in the past, the then it has, effect, yeah. yeah, then it has ramifications in the future from the Ashton Kutcher movie. Uh, um, yeah. But like, I have a feeling like maybe something along those lines could change something in a future, like even in the Eternals or Shang-Chi, where maybe it's not directly referenced, but maybe something changes in the past or present that is because of the multiverse that's indirect. Interesting. So you think some of those movies might take place in a multiverse reality or something like that? They could. Like, I mean, I could yeah. see Eternals kind of being like, again, like it can be its own thing partly because of that, because it's like yeah. in its own world, but because there, there's been meddling within the multiverse that it's thrown this version off and now this version oh, is colliding I think Loki, with that. Loki is really going to explore that, I think, yeah. right? Because it really looks like with the TVA and you have Owen Wilson's Mobius M O Mobius or whatever, like uh being the time variance association, they're basically time cops that make sure all the timelines are so Jean Claude Van Damme might like, have a cameo. Yeah. And like in seeing Loki, this version of Loki, like um go through and and time hop essentially into different time periods and just fuck things up or or change history and like i think that's you're going to see the ramifications from that as well and it's it's really intriguing and like i mean again mcu i i totally understand if it's not your 
or you just mildly enjoy it and you're not obsessive over it like me or some people but like i don't know it's the perfect popcorn entertainment and i actually do think that they have you know great characters that i get invested in and i just feel like it keeps getting better and better and it is that kind of perfect ongoing television super soap opera that i kind of can always count on being there and adding some sort of thing and and it doesn't i don't necessarily have to think too hard but i can you know have an emotional moment and we didn't really even talk about you know the full circle of marvel became so popular and the mcu is so popular that even like really sweet genuine moments like in the last episode of wandavision and that line about grief and love per- persevering and, and things and like Watto. that like and people kind of turned on that line and i think you're going to get that at any marvel movie people will make fun of it and and, and how serious people take it or how much people are emotionally affected by a superhero movie or, or or the mcu but i'm like to me it's like harmless and i'm like fuck off like just let people enjoy things like i'm it's like very what earnest. is it it's very yeah. earnest and i think that's so. what it leaves it out i but i also understand why people do make fun of it just in the sense it's like i i there's sometimes where i do wish that the 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 fandom and the obsession that people have with and this is, I think, something that Scorsese even talks about a little bit as well with with the article. That I kind of wish that that fandom and obsession was with older movies and films. That like, t- like, there's nothing wrong with loving the MCU or DC or blockbuster movies, but it would be also nice to see that kind of like unbridled enthusiasm and like just obsession with you know. Again, like something that with Fellini and and dissecting it and parsecting yeah, it the way that that's projecting do- what. To me, that's projecting what, you know, we enjoy or you enjoy onto people. And I just, you got to let people enjoy what they want to enjoy. No, and I'm like, talking about I, the people that already love it. I'm not talking, and yeah. I'm not talking necessarily about film Twitter in general, but I'm talking yeah. about like, you know, like you're making fun of somebody for loving that line of dialogue or that scene. And it's like, okay, well, it's, it's well done for what it is. And like, it's actually trying to find some ground there and, and sort of humanize it and kind of create a very relatable and, and empathetic moment. I, I wish that the, the film community that loves, you know, movies like eight and a half, you know, like the old John Ford films, like Akira Kurosawa would have that passion for their films instead of making fun of the yes, other movies. Okay, right? I get they, what you're they, saying. They have, I get it. Like, I'm yeah, on the same yeah. page now. Yeah, because like, if put that energy that kind into of something. passion yeah. for that, then I think it would be fine because then you could be like, well, look at this amazing scene. Put that know. energy into something positive rather than yeah. shit, shit talking people who are enjoying something like that's as the older I get, the more I'm just like, let people fucking enjoy what they want to enjoy and put your energy into the things that you love instead of making fun of people for things you don't like, because everything is subjective. Like you, like, again, it's all subjective. Like you can objectively argue something is better than another thing, or this movie is better than the MCU. And yeah, you're probably right that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to translate to someone's enjoyment of something and and what they want to consume and like i've argued forever that there needs to be a place going back to the scorsese thing of content versus film or art or whatever is like i've always argued that there needs to be a place for both of them and the art stuff doesn't necessarily make money but we inherently work in an industry and consume in an industry that, you know, is fueled by it making money. Like the art needs to make money to get made. So it's just like, 
you have to kind of find that middle ground of understanding that both things are necessary. You don't want to see the art side get completely removed, which is, I think, what Scorsese is worried about and things like that as we become more franchise focused. And I mean, we already are at that point, but I've argued forever that Disney purchasing Searchlight and stuff like that, they need to make that a priority of like, we still want to make art as well as, you know, blockbusters and like that's what i hope because i feel like it can only help each other right because filmmakers making a ton of money on a marvel movie could then maybe have the freedom to go make an art house movie like nomad land or whatever or even take a white tt with jojo rabbit i mean i didn't love the film but i appreciate that like he got that opportunity and i mean i'm repeating stuff that i've said before but then that's kind of what i hope or someone like an apple with like you know scorsese signing a first look deal with them they're giving him the freedom even though they know his movies he's a big enough name that it will draw in people and then they'll give him an enough freedom to make you know the movies he wants to make over there but then you hope that they put as much money into other projects from filmmakers that fall more in that category while still you know buying things like a a, i don't wish this on anyone but like a cherry from the russo brothers or like you know the the, the bigger the bigger quote-unquote named things or spending a hundred million cherry was only 10 million dollars but six underground yeah yeah exactly yeah sure but there needs to be a balance and i think that's where we all like i just feel like everything is at one extreme or the other and us being always online and always on twitter we it's everything is hyperbolic it's either and also very cynical and glib like everything is is but that's what i mean but i think it's either one side or the other it's either sarcastic and glib and everything sucks and this shit is horrible it's the worst thing in the world or this is the greatest thing in the world there's no middle ground right like and i feel like that's i mean we see it in politics we see it in everything well sports as well right like you have to pick a team and it's one side or the other there's no like kyle and i it's very uncommon. Like I'm a Leafs fan. He's a Bruins fan. Um, you know, that shouldn't work as, but we can kind of joke about everything and like not take it too seriously. And I feel like, and I just look at you too, when you're talking about, I'm like, I have no idea what is going on. And I think most people, I think, and again, you got to think of vocal minorities as well, right? Like a lot of the times, most people I think do fall in that middle ground where they just don't give a shit and they like Marvel stuff, but they'll also listen to my suggestion on watching, you know, whatever. Or they just um, don't know. Like this is all industry stuff. Like, like a lot of this is inside baseball with like, quibbling with other film critics or like online people oh, yeah. that are in our own bubble, yeah. in the film industry in one way or another most people just are oblivious fans. to it all yeah. yeah like nobody like nobody outside of that bubble is thinking about any of that they're just thinking oh hey new episode of wandavision's available i'll watch that yeah. or hey oh i didn't know martin scorsese had a new movie on netflix like yeah that, or this uh, one best pictures so or yeah, here's exactly. the best picture nominated movies so oh, this kind of looks cool uh, you know a korean film won best picture maybe i'll give it a go and 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 you know expand my horizon Horizons, uh, but there's a but there is a lot of good stuff right now on Star n- that's not just catalog titles. Like I really, I just want to quickly mention um, Tamara. I, I mentioned Tamara Jenkins already, um, the director of, of Private Life, but she did a film back in 2007 uh, with uh, Laura Linney and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman called The Savages, and I loved it back, or I liked it back in 2007. But I was obsessed with movies like No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood and Rescue Dawn at that point. Like that, those were like an Eastern Promises. Those were like 
my movies of that year. Um, and I really liked the savages, but rewatching it again, and it's a searchlight title. Um, I found it even more relatable and very, again, grounded in just honesty and earnestness in what it's depicting. So Laura Linney and Philip Seymour Hoffman play um, siblings who are forced to look after um, their dementia ridden uh, father who they've been estranged from for decades because he was an abusive patriarch growing up and treated them horribly. And they've taken that abuse with them into their lives, but now they have to kind of take care of them and sort of what that means to them and the weight of it. And not that my grandparents are abusive or anything, but like, I was thinking of just like, you know, when you're, when you're helping take care of somebody in even a small way that, you know, that was a big part of your life growing up that had an impact on you. It, it just resonated a lot more this time. And I, I loved it even more watching the movie and I found it to be very uh, acute in its observations of, you know, what two grown, um, a grown brother and sister have to deal with in like that kind of situation and sort of, you know, the frustrations of the bureaucracy of, of, finding, you know, proper healthcare and caregiving and things like that, but also just sort of like how you divide the work and sort of dealing with the baggage of maybe something that was psychological in the past. So um, it's not available on Blu-ray. It's never been available on Blu-ray um, and it's in HD and uh, on Star and I would highly, highly recommend it. And that's the silver lining to bring this full circle of the streaming services, right? Like uh, some stuff, like I don't want physical media to die, but then like you also get these things where like, oh, this was never released. So I get to now watch this on the service and it's in good quality and I don't have to find a VHS or a, or a DVD of it because it was never released on Blu-ray and things like that. But then so, you're also tempted by shit when you no, watch movies like Monkey Bone yeah. because you have this weird, not nostalgia for, I saw it twice in the theaters because I was a huge fan I saw of, it once. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and uh, James and the Giant Peach, Henry Selleck. Uh, directed both of those movies also directed monkey bone and it's a terrible film about an animator who ends up in a coma and in is in this kind of like way station and his creation monkey bone this cartoon is kind of joined with him who's voiced by john Turturro again coming full circle um it's a terrible movie i think the most interesting thing i got out of it watching it this time was that you could tell that there were multiple takes and different cuts of certain scenes that they kind of like weave together in almost this weird Frankenstein theatrical cut where like even like after watching the movie I rewatched the trailer and like part of the selling point again was hearing the voiceover uh, sound guy saying like from the creator of uh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach and obviously you know Sam Hamm being a writer on uh, uh, Tim Burton's Batman they were playing it up as like a Beetlejuice-esque movie but there were scenes in that trailer of like with Brendan Fraser's character this cartoonist ends up in a coma by a street light hitting him outside of a, a, a phone booth. But in the film, he gets into a car accident with his girlfriend played by uh, Bridget Fonda. And so like, you could tell like they, they probably shot like, and, and some of the comedic bits felt that way as well, where tonally they just don't flow together at all. And I think Brendan Fraser is terrible uh, in the Remember movie. Remember when we made him a movie star? Like, I know, I know, but like... I also feel bad for him in, in a way, because I know he has dealt with a lot of um, yeah. physical abuse at the Golden really Globe. Globes and and yeah. speaking of the Golden Globes being trash, but also just with celebrity and sort of 
him being marketed I've, as a movie star, right? I came, I came around because I used to an ongoing joke for me was I had this feud or I hated Brendan Fraser because I hated the Mummy movies and thought you know he should be well, a movie star. People thought star, I looked like him like, in high school. Like people, like I remember one class uh, I had I a media class and they were like, "Yo, Brendan Fraser," and I, I never got it at first. And then the the guy, this one guy, came up to me. He's like, "You dude, you look like Encino Man." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> Um, love it. Uh, but there's a great article. I forget where it was. It was like GQ or maybe Vanity Fair or something in the last couple of years that did Wasn't a profile. Wasn't it Esquire that it was? Esquire, it was around okay. the time that um, Danny Boyle's Trust was was coming out, where he was playing the Mark Wahlberg role in the All the Money in the World. He talked of about how he was sexually assaulted piece. and stuff. Right? Yeah, by the yeah. Gold, by a Golden Globe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The president of the HFPA. <laughs> so <laughs> not just go. a. Me- not just a member, so I guess that is you know full circle on this podcast. So I'm I'm hopeful for him with uh, the Darren Aronofsky movie. Oh, with that the, yeah, the whale partnering so. him with Aronofsky and and giving him something you know uh, meaty to do. Um, I'm definitely um, intrigued by it. Um, lastly, before we go, I've still been reading a lot. I got a new issue of uh, you know Variety and Vanity Fair that I got to read, and uh, I've still been loving my iPad and and going through and actually doing some thoughtful reading and inside, you know, I, I really like variety and Hollywood reporter. Cause I know that's where we get most of our movie news when it comes through, but we, it's usually headlines and quick articles, but I'm really loving the magazine format on my iPad. So uh, there was a new Hollywood issue of vanity fair and Eric on iPad. They have these really dope uh, animated uh, magazine covers. Oh yeah. yeah. So um, I'm showing Eric on the video, everyone. Um, so I'm going to read that. And then I also quick shout out to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, because I read the first two issues. It's a comic series. And if you don't know about this and you were a Ninja Turtles fan in the 90s like I was, and I mean, the comics have been going on for the longest time, but I was never a Ninja Turtle comic book reader. I was always into the cartoon and the movies and the toys. Like I never read the comics as a kid. They were always, I remember heard, I heard that they were darker and um, they, you know, made them more kid friendly when they became like a kid's franchise. Um, But anyways, uh, the last Ronin, uh, there's two issues out right now. I got, you can get them both free through your library. At least I did. There's a program called, I think it's Hoopla. Um, yeah, Hoopla, where if you put in your library card and you have an iPad or an iPhone or something like that, you can get comic books and audiobooks. And, you know, people probably know this and think I'm a dweeb for being excited about it. But like now that I have this iPad, I'm doing a bit more reading. So I signed up for the Whippy Public Library, Eric. I put in my Whippy Public Library card on Hoopla oh, and they you. have community they have based. All- they have all these like comic books. So like I downloaded a bunch of comics that I've missed out on in the last couple of years. They have brand new stuff. They have, you know, older graphic novels and stuff like that. And you can like take out, you know, a bunch at a time. So anyways, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the last Ronin, um, a comic series that takes place in the future where all of the Ninja Turtles have been murdered except for one. And you don't know which one it is, who which survived, but he's wearing a black mask. So like um He's he got Hawkeye on us. And he has all the weapons of all of the turtles. So he has the katanas, he has the size, he has the nunchucks, and he has the Donatello staff. And um he carrying he's carrying all of these and he's grizzled and wrinkled and he's like uh um, it's, fu- it's fucking awesome, dude. Like that first 
thing was so dope and he and basically the story is that um uh, shredder's uh family is still like he they were the ones that i think killed all of the rest of the turtles and and basically the surviving turtle is going to get revenge on shredder's great great you know, grandson or something. And, um, basically in the first, I'm not giving too much away, but like there are moments there that are very dark, like, um, uh, worth this turtle, uh, trying to perform Harikiri on himself, like a ritual suicide. Um, and I'm like, fucking, this is incredibly dark. And then basically at the end of the first issue, you find out which of the turtles it is. And then it gets into the second issue where it involves some more characters from Ninja Turtle history, as well as you're getting some of the backstory, the flashbacks of how the rest of the turtles were murdered or what happened uh, to the rest of them. And if you're a fan of the Ninja Turtles and like, or grew up with them and now you're an adult, like this is a super dark, kind of cool series but you're still seeing some of the you know robotic kind of things i remember the you know the claptrap looking motherfuckers the little like little robots eric that i forget oh the like names the dogs them. with the like the uh, yeah mounts. yeah yeah so those get involved the foot clan still around and stuff like that and i'm like this is so cool to take it in this dark gritty and i you know me like i love post-apocalyptic kind of uh you but love it's got dystopian society yeah dystopian shit is like i i really my jam and it's got kind of some blade runner vibes because there's like the city kind of looks like you know that kind of style and things like that and uh if you can pick them up through hoopla through your library the first two issues are on there um or if you want to go to your local comic book shop and support them go pick up those first two issues because like i had such a blast reading them and i haven't thought about teenage mutant ninja turtles in such a long time um i mean i've obviously been a fan of the movies in the 90s and i was obsessed with the cartoon and stuff but and had all the toys. Eric, I had the sewer lair. I had their freaking Did you have like truck. the suitcase that you, or like the bag that you could put all the toys in as well? Oh God. Yeah. It was the best dude. Yeah. Super shredder, Kevin Nash, um, who I just Elias watched in Magic Elias is Casey Jones, yeah. man. Like incredible. I love Elias Kateas. And that I think for a lot of kids or kids, people our age <laughs> that's where we first saw him it wasn't you know adam agoyan's movies it was teenage no, mutant ninja Turtles. it absolutely was and i remember going to see um uh one of my very first tiff movies he was in um the defendor one defendor yeah. uh and i remember sitting front row because i got a rush ticket for that and i'm like it's Casey Jones <laughs> like being so <laughs> being so psyched about that. Um, so anyways, go pick up those. I'm going to end on that note because they're um, super dope. I would love to see this get turned into a movie eventually. Um, I just think it would be so cool if you're like, and uh, Eric, this is my dream. It takes place in the nineties Ninja Turtles universe. So, cause you know, that's the big thing now is find a franchise that, you know, and let's do a legacy sequel of it in the same universe. So I would love if they did. I, although there were some shortcomings of that universe. Obviously, you had to, you got Tekka and Razor or whatever instead of uh, Turtles in Time. Um, well, no, the the Bebop and Rocksteady. Steady, like, yeah, yeah, like you Vanilla didn't get. Ice. The, yeah, you didn't get the classic Ninja Turtles villains and stuff like that. You got like kind of weird ripoffs of some of them. Because they um, couldn't make them or afford them, which is weird. Like I don't understand. Because they made these what... other weird costumes that were like sort of inspired by them. But, but also looked like you exactly. could just put them in a Power Rangers movie instead or show. Yeah. So, uh, but then even the Michael Bay produced ones when we got Krang eventually and stuff like that. I was like, you know, what? I'm all in on this. But um, Love me some Krang. 
uh, I just want a adaptation of the last Ronin, um, directed by um the cobra kai guys starring the rock as this turtle because he's just super jacked the uh the surviving turtle because his mutations keeps like he keeps mutating as he gets older and he becomes more and more jacked are you describing the rock's biography now yes so i want a a last ronin movie directed by the guys who do cobra kai um and starring the rock and Eric, you know which turtle it is because I spoiled it for you. And I just feel like a grizzled version of that turtle um, played by this guy could be so much fun. And that's my pitch for the last Ronin movie right now. So I am going to end uh, my recommendation. I mean, I already said Savages on, on Star, but physical media wise, quickly, I just want to say that um, Kino Lorber has released or will be releasing March, starting on March 8th. Uh, a new uh, Blu-ray version of Sam Peck and Paws, uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which next to uh, The Wild Bunch, um, I I think it's his master. Should I watch his movies? Because I feel like I would like them. Yeah, you would. I think you would. Like they have, they're, I mean, they are of their time just in terms of the choreography and the editing and the style, but they also have still a contemporary feel and that kind of, Quint- like you can tell Quentin Tarantino did take a lot from them. And also, I mean, it's not a Sam Peckinpah movie, but John Flynn's uh, Rolling Thunder, which is another movie I always recommend to Tarantino fans because he is a huge Rolling Thunder fan. But going back to Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, um, rewatching it again, the, the the transfer is great. It was originally on Blu-ray through uh, Twilight uh, Time, but now it's uh, on Kino. It's, it's a 2K transfer. Um, there's some special features, one of which is with uh, an audio commentary with the co-writer and uh, co-producer of the film, uh, Gordon Dawson. And there's a, a trailers from hell um, bit that's uh, that Joe Dante's company produces that has uh, a history of violence screenwriter, uh, Josh Olson uh, talking about the trailer and the movie overall, but going to the film um, it's a fairly straightforward revenge uh, thriller slash kind of um, dirty Western with the great Warren Oates as an American uh, bar owner living in Mexico and these two American suits, one of which is played by gig young who a lot of people um you know of a certain age will remember from they shoot horses don't they the jane fonda movie uh, that Sidney pollock directed um come and ask him to help uh f- obtain the body of the said alfredo garcia because a warlord has put a price on this guy's head uh for sleeping with his daughter and it's basically this dark character study of Warren Oates kind of traipsing through Mexico with his prostitute girlfriend trying to obtain the body, but also going through double crosses and um, sort of the violence of Mexico at the time, but also sort of from the point of view of an American or a gringo, as he's always referred to as um, it is extremely nihilistic and not a movie that you want to throw on. If you're just into having something play, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, like you need to be in a mood for it. But I rewatched this uh, last night and I hadn't seen it for a little while. Uh, A friend of mine, Peter Smith uh, recommended to me as a, as a kid, uh, as a teen. And I uh, loved it then. And then watching it now, it is so brutal. And you can tell again, someone like Tarantino took major influence from this movie and like Warren Oates as this kind of like grizzled down and out bar owner who kind of, 
sits in the corner for most of it, plays the piano every now and then in sort of like his backstory of him coming into the, the fold of, you know, finding this guy and, and, and where it goes in the final set piece is just, it's, it's the kind of filmmaking that I, I wish there was more of, but more of done by filmmakers that are able to pull it off because you can see revenge movies all the time, but like this is on a level that is, is hard to master. And I only think that somebody like Sam Peckinpah, who was a complete and total asshole, alcoholic guy, but he was the person that could make this movie. And there's not a lot of those type of people left. Really, I don't think there really is at all. Um, but it's it's a one of a kind, mean spirited, but brilliant piece of filmmaking uh, that'll be available um, March eighth. So I, re- nice. I really recommend picking that Blu Ray up. Noise, um, love that. All right, guys, thank you all for listening. It's another beefy episode of the Entitled Movie Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you've lasted this long, you're a maniac, um, but we really, really do appreciate it. Uh, please go check out uh, our other channels, uh, Untitled Movie Reviews. We have lots of reviews up right now. You can check out our reviews for Moxie, uh, which is a Netflix original. Um, where does it fall in that, you know, what we were talking about? in this show pretty much where you'd expect it to. Um, uh, we also have a review up for Raya and the last dragon. Um, also all of our Sundance coverage you guys can check out, uh, right, right now, which is all still relevant and probably will be relevant for the next, you know, Well, land is actually going to be available on premium VOD starting Friday. So you can go and check out that review specifically, but there's a ton of stuff that is also getting picked up for distribution by Netflix's, uh, and Amazon, uh, Amazon, Apple, Coda. Um, I mean, is causing a lot of problems on the uh, the international side right now. So is it? I'll yeah, because apparently that. international buyers like because it costs so much to purchase in the U.S. The rights went up, skyrocketed, rocketed, and for, like, they're yeah. complaining about it. So yeah, yeah, I, I could imagine because I guess Apple doesn't have it's not an internationally available service yet. I'm assuming. No. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Apple, we have the Russo Brothers Cherry review, which you guys can check out. Um, uh, we have Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar uh, up there, which was a huge, pleasant surprise. Uh, Saint Maud, Malcolm and Marie. Uh, so go check out all of those reviews. Uh, Untitled Movie Conversations. We haven't had a new one in a little while, but please go subscribe. We're trying to figure out what we want to do with that channel. There might be some stuff coming down the uh, pipeline uh, very, very soon on that um, go check out uh, my appearance on Kind of Funny last week on Kind of Funny Plays. They have a recap as well as the full two and a half hour long stream that you guys can go check out. Um, go follow us on all those social medias at Untitled underscore cast. Uh, drop us a review if you would be so kind on that trilogy of podcasts I just mentioned. Uh, it really helps us out. And as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at UntitledMoviePodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews at RogersTV.com slash CinemaScene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. I'm going to go watch Sal on Disney+. Plus. Think I'll find it?